And now it's time to bait our hooks, cast our nets, drop our poles in the water, and fish for some jokes with Down on the Dock. Well, 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 welcome to episode 33 of Down on the Docks. My name's Chris Neff, and I'm joined as always by my inviting, invigorous, <laughs> and welcoming co-host, Dave Sarah. How are you, buddy? Hello. Okay, par for the course, I see. We had a lot of fun last week. Great episode. With being, being evil, evil, dude. Yeah. Hell yeah. Some people thought we were racist for about five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I wasn't sure. War and were black, it sounded the same to there's me. There's war, there's and war, where? and where. <laughs> where and this is, a, this is a learning lesson yes. for all of us. So uh, thank you for all of the positive comments that you guys gave to us. Um, of course, if you're new and you're just finding the show for the first time and you want to connect with us, uh, you can find us at Down on the Docks Pod on Instagram. You can find us uh, Down on the Docks on Twitter. And just a reminder, there is no K in Docks because why, Dave? Because it stands for documentaries, dude. That's right, buddy. And of course, if you want to send us an email, you can always reach out to Down on the Docks at Gmail dot com and we always read those emails they're very helpful especially for people that just find the show and have a doc idea and want to send it to us so that's where you put it and then of course if you want to dig deeper and join our community on the discord uh those link uh in excuse me what do you call them? link and trees link trees link trees <laughs> yeah. Link bio, tree bio, link tree. By the way, this is a podcast started by boomers. Uh, <laughs> well, go, to our, go to our link in bio on uh, Instagram and Twitter, and it'll send you there, and you can join our fun community. Lots yep. of memes in there that you don't see man, on the, the socials. Best, man, uh, Retard sexual blowtorch is the best meme in the world. Killed it again. Yeah. Combined our show yeah. with our new sponsor. And then some weird cryptic message later about uh -huh. some weird meme that he's going to do that's awesome. I yeah, have no idea. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Dave, do you mind uh, telling our listeners who is sponsoring this week's episode? Yes. This week's episode of Down the Docks is brought to you by Broccoli Farms, established in 2016 San Diego, California, by cannabis entrepreneur Anthony Bird. Broccoli Farms is a modern take on cannabis brands around the world. By combining new terminology involving cannabis worldwide, Anthony created a cannabis brand that uniquely represents the entire cannabis industry as one. Broccoli Farms, dude. The lowest delivery minimum in San Diego. Fair prices and quality products makes Broccoli Farm one of the best deliveries in San Diego for almost a decade. And I'm going to check them out next time I go there. Be sure to mention Down on the Dogs podcast for 15% off your next order along with FTP gifts and rewards. FTP, of course, stands for first time patient. Mm -hmm. Check them out today on Instagram at Broccoli Farms 619. Don't forget for Down on the Docks, that's D O C S. That's right. You're giggling a little bit. That's buddy. giggly, dude. Are I you mean, a little baked yourself I'm baked. today? Ba -ba -ba well, let's get into it because this is a drug related ba -ba 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 -ba. podcast. Oh, it is? Yes, it I is. I love me some good drug related podcasts. This week's podcast is called White Boy. Yeah. Released in 2017, directed by Sean Rock. Uh, cool. Um, so here's the deal. Tell me. We open on the skyline of Detroit, Michigan. You ever been there? Yes. Yeah, recently? Always doing 80 miles an hour. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I go in and I go out. Yeah, probably 2014. Yeah. Well, we approach, Still pretty shitty back then. We approach the Frank Murphy Hall of Justice. Mm -hmm. It's September 4th, 2015. Now, we see a man. He's mid-40s, mm -hmm. uh, bald, uh, shaved head, uh, looking good. 
Okay. Dressed in a prison outfit and handcuffs. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Tell that part. Yeah. Takes a seat. Looking the, clean. Yep. Takes a seat in the courtroom. Well, we find out his name is Rick Worshi Jr. Okay. We quickly learn that Rick is the longest serving nonviolent offender in the state of Michigan. Wow. Uh, he was convicted on February 4th, 1988. Oh, my gosh. For possession with the intent to deliver a controlled substance over 650 uh, grams. How much is that, Dave? You that's drink. a little over a pound. It's a pound and a half. Looks sound, uh, pound and a, a little over a pound and a half. I ran the math. It's 23 ounces. So I think that's pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Pound little is 16 pound ounces, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so you know your drugs. I know my drug weights. Right. Well, Rick says being in prison the last 29 years, it's like being dead. The only connection I have to the free world is this telephone. Uh, He missed his kids growing up. Yeah, man. No part of anything. He feels like he's in purgatory. Well, we meet this judge uh, he's in front of. Her name is uh, the Honorable Dana Hathaway. Uh, She says, we're here today for a motion for relief from judgment filed by Mr. Wershey. The case law over the last decade has demanded that we treat juveniles constitutionally different than adults Mm. that difference requires us to consider the defendant's age at the time when the crime and then it kind of starts trailing off so uh we hear rick he's in prison and he says you know i was scared as hell sitting in front of this judge um this is the best chance of getting my life back uh i know everything rides on what the judge is about to say everyone knows who i am but no one knows the real reason i'm here oh shit titles up yeah. they, they throw a bag of cocaine yeah and the letters re- reveal white, white boy, boy. <laughs> so uh we hear a reporter the teenage drug dealer named white boy rick was busted at age 17 he served 28 years behind bars the longest ever in michigan for a non-violent juvenile we hear a man say you're not going to convince any judge in this day and age that somebody deserves life for selling drugs. Yeah. Uh, guess who's back? Uh, don't know. One of the Reagans. Oh, boy. Nancy this time. Fucking Nancy. She, in her crazy, <laughs> kooky outfits. Yes, she says. She's in front what of was kids. She wear, yeah, was she wearing a yellow? She wasn't pantsuiting it. She's mm. got a nice dress on. Okay. You know, she says she's in front of some children. She says, how many of you have... Heard about the drug problem in our Ugh, schools. Gross. Yeah. Well, Judge Hathaway, she ain't buying it either because she says, you know, the only thing that I legitimately remember about the war on drugs in the 80s was when I was a child and I saw Nancy Reagan on different strokes uh, telling Gary Coleman, just say no. Mm-hmm. And Nancy says, all drugs are dumb. Mm-hmm. Well, next we see a newspaper headline and it says, What you talking about, Nancy? <laughs> cocaine kingpin police call white boy rick yeah well we're gonna meet reporter scott bernstein and he says rick was moving kilos and when you're 17 years old and you're moving kilos you know you're at a status of drug dealer that most 17 year olds are never gonna reach right uh hathaway says and i'll tell you from what i can see as a judge now the war on drugs is over and drugs won hell yeah Which is kind of refreshing to hear. It's a good point. And she is a younger judge, uh, but we see more headlines. Young Boys Incorporated resurfaces. Giant teenage dope ring busted by cops. Drug gangs adapt Wall Street savvy. Well, next we're going to meet a reporter, a local uh, Detroit Free Press reporter by the name of Joe Swickard. He covered all this. 
And he said Young Boys Incorporated originally was the gang that really institutionalized and industrialized the distribution of heroin. Mm-hmm. Well, Detroit heroin's market gave way to cocaine, which, of course, turns into crack. Uh, this plagued inner cities in the 80s. And Rust Belt towns like Detroit, yeah, the people just disappeared, you know? And uh, according to reporter Kevin Dietz, it fell apart in front of our eyes. It was chaos and nobody knew how to handle it. Now, this is interesting because I went on Wikipedia, did a little research. Do you know what the population of Detroit is right now? Right now? Yeah, take a guess. Fuck. I mean, that's a great question. Five million? 600,000. Holy shit. Really? Yeah. And at, at its peak... You know, yeah, the, I don't know why I thought five million. Honestly, yeah, I, honestly, okay, yeah, but that's damn six hundred thousand. Five tiny, million is, is overboard. But that's but. really small. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. at its peak in the fifties, there were two million people okay, living in the okay. city. Still, yeah. Well, you remember Chris Hansen from To Catch a Predator? Yeah, of course. Apparently, he got a start in Detroit. Okay. Yeah, because he's doing a lot of these early interviews, right? And like you see him in drug bus, and he's like. Look at this shotgun. It holds 12 shotgun shells. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's a fucking... I saw him recently on uh, Adam Carolla's show. Yeah, he's, he's falling apart. He's just... He's super still kind of like... He's really toting that uh, Democratic line, seems like. Here's the thing about On like every Hansen, single issue. Hanson. Yeah. Because he... Like that I corporate recall, line. If I recall, he got busted for cheating on his wife. Yeah. Bunch of shit like that. Sure. But he reminds me, you've seen Die Hard, of course. Yes. Okay, do you remember William Atherton? Yes. Richard Thornburg? Of course, of course. <laughs> I never thought about that, but yeah. He is totally, the, yeah, he totally Dick is. Thornburg. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, he, I'm sure at some point he was doing good work. Yeah. But he's like, he does the thing you're not supposed to do, which is make it about it's yourself. It's kind of sleazy. Yeah. I mean, I remember him going on uh, Opie and Anthony. Oh, really? That's right. Like, he would go on Opie and Anthony all the time. They even did a fake Opie and Anthony skit about Anthony going to his, going to a house. Yeah. And like, it being like Chris Hansen. And he's just like, you know. Well, he, Hansen, uh, at the time, he was doing a five part series on the crack problem for a local news station. Okay. And he says he went on dozens and dozens and dozens of narcotic raids with the No Crack Task Force. Right. Well, we see this task force in action. They're smashing doors down, raiding crack houses. They're like pounding walls with sledgehammers. You see him taking sledgehammers to a toilet. I know. And Hanson says it was crazy. (laughs) I mean, today you can't get away with this kind of, you know... I mean, they, they, this is kind of what the old Chappelle um, uh, bit was about. Like, every single black man has crack sprinkled on him. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Like, well, did you think it was a little strange? Well, and the demographics, yeah. I also checked them. Like, when Detroit started, it was like uh, 95% white. Yeah. Now it's like 80% black. Yeah. And 20%, I mean, 10%, 15% white. Yeah. Because all of these houses have just dilapidated. Been yeah. yeah. They're and, and condemned. Abandoned. Yeah. Well, Hanson says... It'll turn around eventually. Let's hope so. Um, but the, here's the thing. The task force is up a well-armed gang, okay? So they're finding tons of guns in all these crack houses. Sure. Well, we're going to meet FBI Special Agent Herm Groman. Um, he says it was extremely violent. We had officers getting shot, people, officers dying, and I was right in the middle of it. I was on the drug squad for yeah. the FBI. Well, in these raids, they found videotapes 
that some of the drug members had made of themselves. Okay. And one of the drugs that they, uh, uh, crack houses that they raided owned by the Chambers brothers, they show the tapes they found and you see these gangsters and they're like, money, money, money. We're rich, God damn it. $150,000 cash. So the cops, when they went through these homes, they found like faucets, their water faucets, yeah. 24 karat gold. <laughs> Hanson so says, dumb. this is amazing stuff. And you know what? It's not. It's hilarious. Because it's a shitty sink. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like putting, you, if you put a, it. a... It's putting lipstick on a pig. Right. But if you, if you put a, like a 24 karat faucet in a shitty house, yeah. it's not really going to do much for No, it. it's not. So um, we're going to meet a uh, head of homicide for Detroit PD. His name Can't Will- fuck a girl inside of a 24 karat sink. <laughs> Let's get to William Rice. He said, once upon a time, drug dealers were idolized in this town. Um, they had all the man toys they wanted, cars, planes, housing, weapons. Well, back to these stacks, stacks of cash. You know, they're just everywhere. And we're also introduced to another FBI special agent named Greg Schwartz. And he said, the money's unlimited. And of course, it becomes a problem because it's cash business. Yeah. What are you going to do with all that cash? Well, in these videos, they have cash and they're just stuffing them, pulling them out of laundry baskets. Yeah. They got way too much cash. Hell yeah. And they're like, should we just give some of this away (laughs) since we got half a million? And a gang member, he's like, I'll tell you what we can do. We can give it to the poor. Oh and he's god. like, that's exactly what we'll do. Oh god, yeah. So, well, because they're one dollar bills. He's like, sure, we can't no, deal with the it. ones. Yeah. Well, more gangs start popping up. So no cash counting machines. Yet? No, no, no. There were no cash counting machines. I mean, these motherfuckers. One was Scarface made. They had it then even. Apparently, they were doing it old school. Oh, one guys. for me, one for you. <laughs> it's so dumb. So. This, this is the chamber. Just weigh the money. Just weigh it. There's the chamber brothers we're talking about. You could probably do that, by the way, because each dollar bill should weigh a gram. Exactly. Yeah. Like exactly a gram. You can. Um, there was a, a game called Best Friends. <laughs> Yay. Kind Chris of. Neff's Best Friends. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's like the fucking Warriors. Young Boys Incorporated. Uh, Maserati Rick. Wait, Young game. Boys Incorporated? Yeah. That sounds like These something. gang names are awful. Yeah, dude. Well, come on. Uh, Maser- Is that Joe Biden's gang? <laughs> <laughs> sniff sniff <laughs> Maserati Rick yeah yeah uh, and then the, the major players uh, were the Curry brothers there was Johnny Curry and Leo Curry mm-hmm. so we meet Curry in the present day and he says say for Curry's instance Curry is also not a very macho name man, the Curry brothers Curry brothers uh, he says say I got a key of cocaine and two or three keys are uh, these black gentlemen what do you think okay I've, I've like- never met too many uh, I guess Steve Curry he, he's like, uh, and then I got two threes of cocaine. Well, you might have a hundred bales of weed. I make more off this cocaine than you do the weed with less headaches. Yeah. That's how I got into the game. Yeah, it's right. Well, Schwartz says, when we talk about Young Boys Incorporated <laughs> or the Chambers Brothers, there's not one single white person involved in any of these gangs. Sick. Okay. Good. Title up, chapter one, The Legend. <laughs> That's why. Okay. Okay. Now, during... Hansen says during the coverage of the Chambers brothers, uh, he has a conversation with a source who says, you know, there's a kid who's dealing cocaine. He's white. Mm-hmm. His name's Richard Worshey Jr. He's 17. Yeah, somebody's got to talk to the police. <laughs> That's another <laughs> Chappelle bit. Go ahead, go on. And his nickname is White Boy Rick. Yeah. Well, we see these vintage pictures sure. of Rick. 
he's like a 14, 15 year old kid in these pictures. Yeah. Kind of awkward looking. Sure. Tall. Kind of like a jangly, ghoul, yeah. ghoulish. But he's swimming in these suits he's wearing. Okay. Um, he's kind of got like the the Jim Carrey bowl cut from Dumb and Dumber. Right. You know? Well, the press starts running with the white boy Rick because it's, you know, it's catchy. Yeah. Red boy, white boy Rick. You hear, white boy Rick. You hear reporters. White boy Rick. Yeah. White boy Rick. Well, Joe Swickard. WBR. He says, one of the things you don't want to do if you're a criminal I would advise you never to get a nickname, yeah. especially a really catchy yeah. nickname. Yeah, Lalo. <laughs> exactly. What would be Lalo's a, a good nickname for, for <laughs> What's a good? I mean, what's a, it's? How do you how do you think of a non-catchy name? Schmargly Dargler. The whole point is, if somebody gives it to you yeah. and it's catchy, you're yeah. like, that's just between us. Yeah. Okay. You got to find me something like sure. you know, down on the low. Jimmy. <laughs> okay, yeah. So whatever. Lipstick Jimmy. Like, um so Scott uh Bernstein, uh the journalist I was telling you about yep. earlier, he says, I just remember the name and the face. I recall me and my friends were joking around when we were kids, and somebody would be dealing weed out of his car and they're like, Who do you think you are? White boy Rick? <laughs> okay. Well, there's also another journalist in this film named Seth Ferranti. Uh he says in the nineteen nineties, uh I first entered the federal prison system because uh, he was a, a drug dealer as well. Right. Uh, you hear about all the different street legends from the different cities. Well, I was based in the East Coast, but the name we always heard about was White Boy Rick. And I was mesmerized because, you know, being a white drug dealer myself, I was like, who was the white kid, you know, that was supposedly running all these black gangs and running the city of Detroit? Well, Bernstein says at the time... We didn't know anything about White Boy Rick. Uh, we didn't know who Rick Wershey was. It was just a caricature at this point, almost like a comic book character being splashed across the newspapers right. all the time. So the newspapers, they got a headline. White Boy Rick. <clears throat> they run with this. Well, he's socializing and doing business with the biggest drug dealers in Detroit. And the name, it became so catchy, Kid Rock rapped about it and said, Got more cash than white boy Rick. Does oh, that sound God. like? I guess. Yeah, I guess. Well, Johnny Curry says he was only 15 when he met him. And he was smart. We uh, we bought motorcycles together, rolled up to see my brother in prison. Hmm. Um, J uh, Bernstein says Johnny would buy him mean coats. You know, they'd walk around in matching tw twin <laughs> mean coats. Fun. Cool. Well, it's cold there. Yeah. And he said to integrate like he did, I mean, not everybody can do that. Yeah. And the point is, he wasn't a poser. That's who he was. He was a product of his environment. Uh, he was a white kid that was brought up in, you know, basically around black people his whole life. And a lot yeah. of the D Detroit Police Department that were working in the Detroit drug scene uh, knew Rick was a race trader. They did not like the fact that he talked black, he acted black, dated black women. <laughs> no, nobody ever likes that. I guess. The white people don't like that. The black people don't <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. It's like Persian Jews. And definitely didn't like the fact that a 14-year-old kid was rolling around in a BMW and flashing wads of cash that were more than their weekly paychecks. Right. Johnny says, we were making a half million a week. Two million dollars a month. For how long? Jesus. A couple. Of, well, you're going to find out. Yeah. Feds estimate Johnny Curry sold between 150 and $200 million worth of drugs in the 1980s. Cool. Uh, so By the time he was, before he was even 18. No, this is Johnny. Oh, my bad. Okay. Yeah, this is his mentor. Got it. Well, 
according to Hanson, there's sections of the city in the 80s that were literally war zones. Sure. And you see these, you know, like uh, when they when they when they went after Koresh. Yeah. Uh, and the Branch Davidians. I do. And they put the bulldozer with yeah. the, the square on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing that, going yeah, yeah. into like crack houses. Crack, yeah, and just fucking taking them down. Yeah. <clears throat> well, are you ready to meet convicted murderer Nate Boonecraft? Hell yeah, baby. Well, he's in prison. Especially with a name like that. Prison. He's got to be 350 pounds. Hell yeah. Like muscle or fat as fuck? Fat as fuck. Okay. Probably muscular at one time. Right. In the 80s, I was a hitman that worked for many different drug lords and kingpins. Yeah. Even some that weren't even in the country. Hmm. We hear a reporter saying law officers say there are direct links now between gangs and Colombian drug dealers. Right. So Nate says, I was getting hired to do this. I was involved with about 30 murders. I was responsible for almost 30 murders. They paid 50000 and up. That's pretty good. Yeah. You know, when you hear about people back in the day, like the mob, here's right. 10 grand, go whack, you know, mm -hmm. Jimmy Two Shoes or whatever you want yeah, to say. Jimmy Two Shoes. Uh, I was looking to gain. Anything that was 50000 I'll always be, come on with it. Yeah. What do you want? The guy's head? You want his arm? <laughs> his head? You want his private pot? Oh, God. Fuck. Well, homicide detective William Rice says crack cocaine changed the whole complexion of homicide cases in the city of Detroit. We were actually having almost 800 homicides per year. And Schwartz says 85% were due to the narcotics trade. Right. So let's get back to Nate Boonecraft because he takes his shirt off. It's a bad sight. He's riddled with gunshots, stabbings. And he's like, this is what happens when you become a gangster or hitman. You get shot up. Yeah. Uh, Hell yeah. He, he's like, leg tore up. I had to walk with a cane. Yeah. AK got me right here. Can't even move my hands. Shotgun blast here. Damn. They hit me with everything. Nine in the back. I'm like the Grim Reaper. <laughs> yeah. You make my list. Oh, boy. I'm coming for you. Yeah. What are you, good or bad? <laughs> so, again, Hell yeah. reporters, white people leaving in droves. Uh, we're going to meet Rick's attorney, Ralph. In Detroit, white people leaving in, in droves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it goes from almost, like I said, two million down to a million. Hmm. Uh, and I think today, like I said, we're at 600,000 after I man. looked last night. Yeah. Well, Rick grew up on the east side of Detroit, which is notoriously very tough. Uh, we met his sister, Dawn. She says we're normal, uh, normal family growing up. My grandparents lived across the street from us and it was my brother and my dad and I, his mom, Darlene, she pops in and she says, Rick's father and I divorced uh, when Rick was five. And they stayed with him at the house, which I wasn't happy about, but they wanted to be there. So I left them. Yeah. You know, it is tough, what it is. I mean, it's a tough situation. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Uh, Don says it went from a nice working class neighborhood, regardless of race or color, to just horrible. Crack houses in front of our street. My grandmother got robbed, you know, in our driveway. It was bad. Well, Rick, you know, he's playing Little League Baseball. He's, he's you know, star of his team. He's right. a pitcher. Nice. Um, and then he takes a summer off and stays out in the suburbs with his mom, does really well, gets good grades, super popular, but he starts hanging out with his dad on occasion. Mm -hmm. And he ultimately says, I'm going to go live with dad. Well, Richard Sr., he was a gun dealer. Nice. And a street hostler. Hell yeah. And the joke became- And a cardsman. There was white dad Rick and white boy Rick. Yeah. Well, Rick idolized his father and- his dad starts taking him to gun shows when he's 11, mm -hmm. 12 years old. And uh, Rick becomes like the best salesman at the gun show. Fuck yeah. 
No, this is what you need. A Winchester 3030. Yeah. Um, 11 years old. Yeah. Fuck it. Uh, Herm says it was an adventurous life for him. Uh, They're playing Cowboys and Indians in Detroit, and he just got caught up in it. Yeah. Well, Seth Ferrani says, everything that I knew, you know, that was like the glamorized version of White Boy Rick. But once I started talking to him and researching the case with all the documents and newspaper articles and court records, I found a very different story emerged. Now, we're going to see a vintage commercial. I want to see if you remember this. Okay. There's an unknown person mm-hmm. okay. with a key, okay, little, little Coke on it, okay, and she does smashes a bump. Cool. And you hear the, the voiceover, one out of every five people who try cocaine get hooked. Yeah. But that's not your problem, is it? No. And then you hear another gack smacker, <laughs> just a full line. <laughs> and then you hear the door shut, and then it opens. And it's a school bus. Oh, yeah. And we see a woman that was, you know, yeah, doing snorting some, the blow. Yeah, she's going to go drive a bus now. And these kids are getting on yeah. it. Yeah. And then the narrator says, or is it? Oh, no. So well, what you need to know is that the legislature. And I'm one of those five. <laughs> dude, <laughs> one in five seems low to me. 20%? I can, I, dude, we, look through, we can look through my, uh, my cell phone right now in five and find... 25 of the last 30 people. Buddy, I still have my Coke dealer's name in my phone. Uh, let's find out. It's it's I it's saved <laughs> under Instagram. Let's, I swear to God, he was that good. Let's find out how good he is this weekend. All right, we can. Um, so what the law enforcement and legislators do at this point is they try and make the punishment so harsh that nobody's going to want to deal drugs. So right. they passed what was called the 650 law. So that means if you get busted with 650 grams, oh God. you get life. Uh, hundreds of people were uh, prosecuted, so stupid. including Tim Allen. Yep, I remember this. So he got popped for yeah. uh, the 650 law. Well, he didn't spend his life in no, jail, he did not. as we know. Must have had a good lawyer. Yeah. Um, so the bottom line is... Damn, Tim Allen getting popped with two and a half ounces of coke yeah yeah baby i got a quick tim allen story uh, <laughs> i never thought tim i never never ever thought tim allen of that guy as that guy well i here's the thing i remember eating at mel's diner mm. and uh i look over and tim allen's over there and it's clearly with his parents or something okay and my i turn around he's facing me and his parents are facing him and i turn around and i realize that he's staring at the Santa Claus movie that he's in, <laughs> the sign, yeah. the big one they do on yeah. Sunset. Yeah, yeah. He's looking, looking at the, it directly, directly at, it. at it while he's having dinner with That's his parents. Hilarious. I was like, too weird. So there's money to be made. Um, people uh, are corrupt, and we learn that you know if the cops are looking for money, they're they'll gonna find go, it. They'll find they'll it. They'll fucking find it. If these city councilmen need money, they're yep. gonna find it. Yep. Well, let's meet the top of the food chain, the mayor, Coleman Young. So um, he's the most powerful politician in the history of Detroit. Uh, right. He was a machine, uh, according to news reporter Kevin Dietz. Well, here's the thing. His niece was named Kathy Volson. Well, she ended up getting married to Johnny Curry. Oh, who shit. Who was, of course, the biggest drug dealer in Detroit. Wow. I wonder how that came about. Can you imagine that? Family That's passed, some Game of Thrones gravy, shit right Johnny. there, dude. Um, so what Coleman Young does is he puts full-time protective detail on his niece, right. Kathy, uh, after Johnny marries her. Right. 
Well, Kathy makes the newspapers because she has an OD. Whoa. Non-fatal and survives. Well, Johnny says, my wife's uncle was Mayor Coleman Young. Um, she heard about the Curry brothers. Right. And uh, we started dating. And then the next thing you know, we're married. Well, Herm, of course, says, I just find it entirely crazy that Coleman Young had a protection detail of police officers guarding his drug Right, I know. He's seriously. So the protection detail also included Jimmy Harris, who was... Mayor I mean, wait, was, was the implication that she was also dealing drugs? Well, yeah, because she's or making just, the paper for OD in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's clearly involved. Yeah. But the detail also included a man named Jimmy Harris. Okay. Well, that's Coleman Young's head of security. They were specifically instructed not to intervene in any interactions and transactions with these drug dealers. Right. I wonder why. So Jimmy says, one time I got picked up, you know, cops oh. grabbed me. He says, I see something in the back of your car. He said, I seen it on the back seat. He said, go ahead, go about your way. You need an escort to where you're headed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so he was like, I never got messed with. Their only job was to follow around Kathy and prevent her from harm. Right. So, Herm says it's simply slippery slope. And everything, of course, goes downhill really fast. Right. Nate, our hitman, it was wide open for greedy people. And cops are just as greedy as we are. And if they got debts, they're going to turn to crooks. Oh Goddamn right they will. Uh, Johnny says everybody, every other uh, police officer at 1300, um, which I'm assuming was the station, was crooked. Okay. I got down there. I walked there. And I'm like, shit, they as bad as myself. Well... Because of the marriage, he, meaning Johnny, has a direct line to Gil Hill. Now, at the time, Gil was the Detroit Police Department's head of the homicide division. Mm -hmm. Well, Gil had bigger aspirations. He became a movie actor. Do you remember Beverly Hills Cop? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember in Detroit, uh, Axel Foley's character has a boss yeah. called Inspector Todd. Kind of a mousy looking guy. That's him. No shit. Yes. Wow. It, yeah, he's the one where Axel comes in and he's like, Inspector T, yeah. how you doing? <laughs> yeah. And Inspector Todd goes, where the fuck you been, Foley? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and he's uh, always like, not today, Axel. Yeah. Not the fucking yeah. day. Yeah, with the small chin, sort of. <laughs> yeah, well, that's him. Yeah, that's crazy. So he's a celebrity in Detroit. Yeah, there's some, uh, yeah, there's some uh, greasing in the palms going on around I here. I'm wondering so. how he got into Hollywood. Well, maybe one begot the other. Maybe he was in Hollywood already, kind Dude, of. He could have been juicing and LA like, and with Blow. But yeah, but maybe there was some. I'm sure there was some kind of connection there. Come yeah. on. Well, biggest. That's, he's the biggest celebrity. You've seen, you've seen uh, the uh, this the Tarantino movie. That he wrote, I don't think he directed it. It's true, true romance. Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah, so it's kind of like the same thing. Well, who knows? Cocaine, Hollywood, and he finds a way. Well, he's already a celebrity. Or Detroit. I mean, Beverly Hills Cop is a perfect thing. It's a huge film, dude. Yeah, Beverly Hills Cop is a cocaine in the thing from well, Detroit and blah blah blah. It gets even bigger when Gil says, "I'll be returning as Inspector Todd for Beverly Hills Cop too." Yeah, sick. Yeah. Well, William Rice... He wasn't says, in three. No, he wasn't. Uh, Gil, you know, Will says, Gil taught me a lot. Um, he trained me. Well, they interview, ask Nate. He says, was Gil Hill affiliated with the drug world? And Nate says, affiliated? Yeah, he was affiliated. <laughs> he basically got us to stay away from certain people that he wanted to protect. He'd tell us, hey, man, don't be hitting this. Don't be this and that. Because if you made our list... 
you were going to get killed. Yeah. Well, William says, I got nothing bad to say about Gil. He wanted homicides closed and he wanted to get some resolve to the brutality of taking another person's life. Well, the interview asked Nate, he says, so you're telling me that the head of homicide came to you and asked you who you've got on your hit list? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. 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 As Gil would say, <laughs> anybody else on your list? I don't give a fuck. Right. Well, William Rice, he says, that's not the Gil Hill I know. That doesn't mean that, of course, people don't have dark sides. Sure. Because sure. <laughs> I believe we all it's have dark It's not the Gil sides. that I know, but there is a side of him that I don't know well, that Nate, I know. Nate continues and says, so we would have to listen to Gil because he's going to do us a favor later. In order for us to get favors from him, we have to do favors for him as mm, well. Mm. One hand washes the other. Sure. So according to Bernstein. I jack you off, you jack me <laughs> off. Uh, he said, I think he viewed himself as Coleman's young successor. This is Gil he's sure. referring to. So the, the problem is Coleman Young starts getting insanely bad press. Um, and people are saying he's corrupt and he's ultimately he never gets indicted. Yeah. Uh, reporter, the latest involve, uh, is a charge that his police chief stole from a fund set up for undercover drug buys. Wow. Wow. Uh, we see a vintage interview of Coleman Young and he says, who the fuck do you think you are? Come in here and cross examine me. <laughs> oh, I wonder how we got the part. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, Joe Swickard, he says he drew enormous amounts of an an animosity from a number of white residents who blamed him for the social else. Oh, uh, like the degentrifying of the... <laughs> Yeah, and I know a number of people, including a number of federal and local enforcement figures, that thought that he was totally steeped in corruption. But he says, yeah. I don't buy that. I mean, this is the is. newspaper report. Everywhere is. Um, but he says, I think there are people around him who were. Yep. Well, the uh, feds, they have a huge agenda now to try and take down Coleman Young and try to tie parts of his administration directly to the Curry, or Curry organization. So Johnny and Leo, they get popped. Johnny um, and Leo, which ones? The are Curry those brothers. Oh, those are the bro the brother. Guy. So they're convicted and they accept a plea agreement for twenty years. God uh, damn, yeah, dude, Jesus. Johnny, Christ. Johnny ends up doing fourteen years. What do they get popped with? Like, what do they actually get caught with? Just dealing drugs. Probably oh, broke the six fifty. Who knows? They didn't get specific. Well, Chris Hansen says one hundred and forty nine. Imagine like you get popped, buddy. Like that. If I'm there and I got 650, I'm going straight for a key bump, yeah. and that's going to be a full gram. My last line. Yeah. In fact, well, I would just travel with 649. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too. Well, first of all, it's assuming you knew, but second of all, it's like that motherfucker gypped me. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't grab short. I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't afford. You know, 30 years. Not take the discount. Yeah. Imagine. Well, Hanson, he's still on the scene. And he gets a tip one day that the feds are going to raid Kathy Volson Curry's townhouse. So the feds go in and guess who's in bed with Kathy? Kathy. Uh, who? Rick. Oh, wow. White boy, uh, Rick. White boy Rick is yeah. Yeah, hitting that shit. He's Fish. 17 Fish. years old. Fish. Good. So, you know, he's like, this is going to be a really bad day for the mayor's office. Hell yeah. So at this point, you got race. Or a really good day. You got drugs. You got sex. Political intrigue. We need rock and roll. Police corruption. It's rock and roll Hall of Fame. Uh, Was that in Detroit? No. No, that's in Cleveland. Okay, that's right. Then wait, which one's in Detroit? Is there a baseball Hall of Fame in Detroit? No. Oh, there's no Hall of Fames in Detroit then. I don't think Detroit's it's not got much of a Hall of Fame, fame city. No. Oh, sorry. 
and then of course you have Rick who's now dating Coleman Young's niece. Yes, yes, yes. And that's a huge problem for Coleman Young. Coleman Young's black, by the way. Ah, I so, thought it was a little white girl going. No, no, fucking up. Fucking Coleman Young's that. the mayor. He's I know black. that. I know that. But I'm saying I thought before it was a little white girl. No, I going thought around. you said. I yes, thought. Okay, <laughs> okay, let's go. So Worshi Rick at this time he gets busted for possessing eight kilos of cocaine, the charge that ends up giving him this life sentence. So Hanson interviews Worshi behind bars, and. He says, you're not trying to tell me that you're an angel, that you never did anything wrong. And he said, look, I've been involved in wrongdoing, but I don't feel like I did anything to receive a life sentence. Yeah. Well, Real were she or were she? <laughs> was she or were she? Was she or were she? So Sorry, back to God. the 650 lifer law. Yes, that's bullshit. Well, the Supreme Court ultimately says that constitutes cruel and unusual punishment. I agree. Mm-hmm. So you can't sentence people to life without parole for a nonviolent crime. Yep. So after the Supreme Court ruling comes out, those that were sentenced previously are supposed to have a chance at parole. Right. Well, Rick didn't get us. Of course not. So he knows too many secrets. You're catching on. According to defense attorney Steve Fishman, he says everybody kind of recognized Working with the feds. It was a fool's errand from the beginning, just like almost all tough on crime things that turned out to be a fool's errand. Until the law was changed, I don't think they caught one, not one large scale drug dealer. And I'm assuming because they were all 649ing it. Yeah, 649. Like, yeah. We could still do this. We're just going to have to make more runs. Yeah. You know? I mean, how many, how many, how many kilos is 649? Did we figure this out? It's a pound no, and I a half. Mean, well, I don't, yeah. No, yeah, it's like a so, pound and a half a cup. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You could still do business doing a pound Fuck and a half. Fuck yeah, dude. Get out of here. I mean, what do keys go for? 40 grand, 50, I think. Um, Probably 35. Yeah. 30, between 30 and 40 for good ones, probably. Yeah. Well, of course, the we got press. somebody listening like, I can get it for less. And if you can, <laughs> hit me up. <laughs> if you can get that shit for 28, let me know. Back to the Fed, Greg Schwartz. He says, of course, the press is still standing by this drug kingpin white boy Rick thing. Yeah. And he's like, kingpin of what? Who? He didn't have a drug gang. He didn't have crack house. It was just him. He was just moving the shit by himself, Hansen, solo. Hanson says, did you kill anyone? Were she? No. <laughs> no. Do you ever order anyone killed? No. And Greg just flat out says, I'm going to tell you right now, the legend of white boy Rick, it just isn't true. And, you know, he continues. He said, third world countries don't incarcerate like this. Yeah, I know. I don't know if that's true, by the way. Well, I mean, because I've seen third world countries Midnight. have flogging still. So, yeah, I mean, let's be real. Have you ever seen Midnight Run? No. Uh, it's a must watch. Oliver Stone wrote the screenplay. I bet. It's about the 70s. Randy Quaid's in it. Ooh. But, you know, some guy's trying to just jack hash out of Turkey. Yeah, it's, yes, yes. It is one of the most intense films. I've never I've seen, it, seen it. But yeah. do they do it in uh, like ammo boxes? How did they get it out? Yeah. I don't remember. No, yeah. no, I remember. He put it in these tinfoil things yeah. and then strapped it to his body right, right, and right. tried to get on okay. a plane. Anyway, let's get back to these guys. So Rick says, here's the truth. At the age of 14, I was recruited by the FBI to become an informant. Wow. So chapter two is called The Truth. And we see on the titles, FBI agents and records confirm that Rick was an FBI informant. Yeah. Herm says it's a really convoluted story. He says, when I met Richard Worshi Sr., uh, he'd been opened up to us as an informant and operated for a period of time by two other agents. He was a gun dealer and an entrepreneur. 
Uh, his daughter Dawn says there was no end to what he was doing. If he was doing one thing, he was always dabbling in the next. He was brilliant and he invented a lot of things. I think he probably he invented helped. a lot of things. Huh? Yeah, she says, I think he probably helped. You know those little baggies? He invented those <laughs> little baggies, dude. You, there wouldn't, you would not have little Batman logos on your baggies. I like the skull and crossbow yeah. ones the best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she says he held more patents than anyone in the state of Michigan. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know if we can prove that. Uh, no, we can prove that. We could look it up. Yes, it can be proven. Uh, according to Bernstein, um, he says, I think he also had a business where he would illegally sell guns on the black market, Ooh. no pun intended, and help people get permits. And Johnny says he even sold his silencers. Well, everybody knows you can't sell silencers. Aww. Uh And if you need maybe grenades. In Detroit, you can't, maybe. If you need grenades. You can sell them in other states. You can I didn't think you buy buy silencers anywhere. Well, you're ignorant. Well, you're talking on the black market or no. on the dark web. No, dude, you, you can't buy silencers. Yes, you can. South Carolina. Oh, uh, okay. It's just because I live in California. Yes, <laughs> uh, Texas. Even you can have silencers. Okay. And, I mean, most of these, most there's you know right now there's more open carry states than non open like. Oh, I believe that. Like, you can basically open carry. There's no constitutional carry. It's like you don't need a permit or anything. Right. You just walk around with a gun at your holster. I don't think you can have a silencer on it, though, bro. No, no, no. You cannot have a silencer on it if you're open carrying, but uh, you can use silencers and can buy you them. open carry grenades? Because Johnny was getting grenades. <laughs> I don't know what the I don't know what the rule is Talk for. Talk about uh, next level, you know. I don't know what the rule is for that, but yeah, I don't think you can open carry with silencers. No. Well, Bernstein says he starts playing both ends of the game. I think anybody that's an informant. You got to go both sides. You got to be a double agent if you're going to be an FBI informant. You know. Yeah, I guess. So he's, double double. You, you know how hard that is to be though, because they they're going to know everything. Like they just know everything. Well, he's they divulging who is you know selling buying the guns to the FBI. Well, the FBI learns that the top of that list is Johnny Curry and the Curry Gang. Uh, Herm says this is weird. He says, the first time I meet uh, Worshu Sr., I'm at a McDonald's and he walks in and introductions are made and I notice he's got a young kid with him and he appeared to be like 15. And when we got to talking about the Curry drug investigation, I noticed the father would defer to the son. And Rick says, my dad didn't <clears throat> know anything that was going on. And Herm says, it came very apparent that the kid is the source of the information, not the dad. Right. So... Where she says, I kind of interjected and told them who they were and recognized them for the neighborhood. And Herm says, I didn't feel comfortable with this. Sure. I think it was appropriate. I mean, can you imagine your son pimping out your kid to the feds I know. for cash? So yeah, it's gross. Fuck the feds, though, too. They're all, yeah, yeah. they're all garbage dirtbags. Nobody um, try and find the good guy in the story yeah, at no. this point. So well, White Boy Rick's pretty cool. He is cool. He says, I wanted to keep the channels open, though. So um, you know, Bernstein says, I believe Richard himself quickly realized that the target was big game. So, uh, um, like drug bosses. Yes, exactly. Rico shit. Some Rico. Well, I don't think that Rico was a real thing back then. Uh, that Rico didn't exist in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Herm says he was basically using his son to get paid and it's right. not the role of a father to do something like Correct. that. Correct. Bernstein, uh, excuse me, Bernstein. And this was something that I think started off as one of the thing uh, th uh, 
it started off as one thing and ended up another thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It started off where they'd be like, you know. Like the internet. Hey, Rick, um, you want to drive us around the neighborhood? Yeah. And be like, Rick, who's that? And he'd be like, oh, what's that spot? Okay, so no yeah, big deal. Yeah, like, like uh, that's how they always got little drug dealers. That's why the cartels use 14-year-olds to sell their shit because they can't really be prosecuted and shit. Well, ultimately, um, he ended up taking about $35,000 from the law enforcement. Aw. So, but here's my question. Aww. How much does daddy get? Oh, you yeah. know, 15%. <clears throat> Rick says he went shopping, bought a car when he was 15 years old. Fuck yeah. Uh, Seth Ferrani says, it's funny to me how people were always talking about what criminals would do to make a dollar, but on the same regard, look at what the feds were doing to make an arrest. I mean, I got a friend that went to an all-boys school. He was like, he got, he was able to get a cheap ounce of weed when he was 13 or 14 years old for like 60 bucks and turned that first $60 into $300 at school selling dime bags and, and dubs to people. Yeah. And he's a drug dealer ever since, dude. Okay. Ever since. Like, What's his name? Big Z. You just outed a drug dealer on our podcast? You would love it. Oh, he would? Yeah. He's like, I'll get you his number. <laughs> Can he get us a grenade? We could talk off the air. Okay. <laughs> so He cannot get you a grenade, no. Uh, motherfucker, you can go to Arizona and get grenades. That's true. You can. You can go to Nevada and get grenades. Yeah, that's Let's go. true. Okay. So Rick uh, has an assignment, and that is to infiltrate the Curry bo uh, Brothers gang. Uh, so he starts hanging out with the Currys, and he says, look, I want to learn the drug game. And I want to start making control. Bodies. By the way, you met Big Z, Mushroom Santa. Oh yeah, that guy looks like he could get a grenade, dude. He's fuck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's fucking a couple grenades. Okay, but like, uh, yeah. All yeah. right, Mushroom Santa for another yeah. episode. If yeah. you want, it, we'll do Mushroom Santa in the Discord. If you want to know more about <laughs> yeah, Mushroom Santa, yeah. So anyway, Johnny says we started letting him do little errands, Johnny, and um, we started introducing him to people. Yeah, and they figured, well, if a white boy sells it. The dope's gonna be good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> talk, it's true. talk about betraying your own race. No, I mean they know why people like that scene in uh, in Pulp Fiction. Are we in Inglewood? Oh yeah, white yeah, people yeah. who know the difference come to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna say the whole. I was line, gonna say there's a whole lot of lines yeah, in that yeah. scene we can't get into right now. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that anytime no no if i that was to bonnie's house yeah yeah no yeah if 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 uh, his name is lance i think or mm. something um i think that anytime i present somebody that i've never really met with some extracurricular activity and party favors yeah they always look at me like is it good and i always deliver that line just how it's supposed to be delivered right i got you um so anyway johnny says you know rick we got rick doing this and that but he doesn't have a major role you know, but nobody would mess with them because they knew he was working with us. So, you know, within a couple of months, Rick is Johnny Curry's right hand man. Yeah. yeah. And he becomes a protege. Um, and people were basically amazed that it happened so quickly. Well, uh, one of the interviewers says, Were they able to make any arrests out of your information? And Rick's like, Yeah, numerous. Um, so this guy didn't even know he was going around ratting everybody out. No. So when Rick would say, hey, the dope's coming to this house, the dope would come to that house. The police make the raid and they confiscate the drugs and the money. Yep. Rick says, I believe in one time in 1985, 
I think we got him 11 or 13 in one day. Oh, God. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. What a rat piece of shit. Then. Well, do you still think Rick's cool? Yeah, he is cool. Because he, he's pretty cool. Yeah, he's pretty cool. <laughs> 14, 15, yeah. slinging dope, mink yeah, coat. Going to go, 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 Having go. sex with black women, yeah. pissing off the neighborhood. <laughs> pissing off the <laughs> pissing neighborhood off of and, black women. And the black mayor. Men. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And yeah. the black mayor, Jesus. Yeah. So Damn, anyway. white men always keeping the black men down. Uh, Herm says, you know, the whole business of operating informants, it's a cat and mouse game. And just because somebody has an informant designated as the handler for the informant, that doesn't preclude that informant from being utilized by other agencies, such as the Detroit Police Department. See, they say it's a cat and mouse game, but I like to think of it more as a mouse and cheese game. I see what you did. Greg Schwartz agrees. He says, <laughs> not with you, by the way. He says we had the DA involved, the FBI. Uh, Customs, Michigan State Police, and Detroit Police Department. Yeah. The DDJJOJOD, whatever. Remember that scene? Yep. Uh, That's a Beverly Hills Hills Cop reference. No, then I don't remember that scene. This is from Beverly Hills Cop 3. Oh. When he's like the DDOICAG, because our jurisdiction falls in the DDIOC. 3 sucks so bad. It's so bad, but it's the one I saw the most. Why? Because I'm uh, at that age. I'm. I mean, I'm at that age yeah. where, like, I grew up in the in the in the in the land of sequels. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, Weekend at Bernie's two, yeah. Tremors two, yeah, all the shitty. You probably haven't even seen Tremors one. I, I mean, I really didn't until way later after I'd seen Tremors two a million times. Do you know they're making a, a Beverly Hills Cop four right now? Gross. What do you mean gross? I mean, at this point in time, Eddie Murphy needs to just. This, I here's my prediction. Because Coming to America was god-awful. It was god-awful, and apparently that last film he did on Netflix was awful. God-awful. Here's my prediction. Yeah. He, this is going to be a huge. It's going to be good. Be, here's why. Why people are going to be in it? Inspector <laughs> <laughs> Todd's not coming back. We no, know that. We know that. <laughs> um, but what's his name? Goofy fucking Goofy. Paul Reiser. Paul Reiser might He's be He's coming it. back. Hell yeah. He was not in Always three. Always loved Paul Reiser for some reason. He wasn't reason. in three, right? Yes, he was. Oh, he was? He's the DDIOCXKK okay. guy, whatever. Okay, so Riser's back, but they're also bringing back... Serge. Billy. Serge. Billy. And no, Billy's... I thought Paul Riser. No. Okay, which one's the tall, goofy guy? That's Judge Reinhold. Oh. That's Billy. That guy. Okay, Paul like Riser's his cop friend in New York. Yeah. That also worked for Inspector okay. Todd. Don't okay. fuck with yeah, me yeah, today. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Okay. Not him. And yeah. then they're also bringing in the two originals. Wow. Billy's partner, who's Billy. so underrated. Billy. Oh my that's, God, Billy! Yeah, that's not who I'm talking. No, about. I know that, but, 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 Sarah, but Sarah, Serge is Serge. Serge is, is coming back. Also, yes. Okay, I love it. So I, I'm saying to you right now, trust me. Okay, this is going to be a huge. Hit. I'll go in with open arms. Okay, and an open cock. Uh, so Detroit, you know, um, they're also using, of course, the police department, not just the feds. Right. They're using Rick in undercover capacity, but these two agents aren't talking to each other. So right. So the, the feds are having him rat. Sure. And Detroit's got him making buys, undercover buys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Agent Herm, he says he denies knowing that... Uh, this is what I'm talking about. This is how most of this shit goes. It's like you have six feds to take down three people. Right. All right, go on. But the whole point is the FBI agent denies that he had any knowledge sure. of the... De- Detroit police sure, department sure, sure. doing any of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they put a disclaimer up. He doesn't, the words don't come out of his mouth. They, he was like, I ain't doing your interview. Unless Some departed shit. shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he's going out in unmarked police cars at night. And, you know, the cops are taking him to clubs. 
And they're not bringing him home till like three, and he's got to go to school the next day. Right. Oh, poor guy. So they're like, just quit school, dude. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, they're like, we need you to do I mean, this. Honestly, he it's, should be. And Rick's like, I got to go to school. And they're like, well, you know, we need you to go to this club. Yeah. <laughs> well, so go to school after. Yeah, yeah. Bernstein's like, you're wasting too much time in math class. Yeah. And, all, and basically, the, he's also slinging for them, too, right? Like, they're, they're making money hand over fist i'm sure we're only getting part of the story yeah i mean, I mean we're getting a story as much as we can right but I'm, that, this goes back to my point you got to be a double agent you yeah. know you got to take care of yourself Self. when you're an informant sure so <clears throat> follow nine uh we're going to move to chapter three okay it's called informant 84 rolls around uh curry was given information that rick was the informant Rick was giving the feds information and people were getting busted. So yeah. they knew somebody was leaking the information uh, and they would have meetings talking about who the informant might be. There were a lot of people on the street that believed that Johnny Curry ordered Rick's murder. So Rick's sister says, I remember being at home and my boyfriend uh, said, oh, here comes your dad. And I said, tell him I'm not here. And I was standing in the bedroom listening to him talk um, and all of a sudden, uh, I hear, tell her, her brother's been shot. Oh shit. And right then I fell to the floor. I got into the car with my dad and we went to the hospital. Well, Rick at the time was with another Curry Lieutenant who was a couple years older. And Rick says we were skipping school that day. Uh, we were in the house for maybe five minutes. Yeah. He walks upstairs and a couple minutes later he says, Hey Rick, come over here, come to the stairs. Rick says, as soon as I hit the top of the stairs, he comes out of the bedroom and shoots me in the stomach. Close range. Yeah. 357. So Rick tries to make it to the door. And meanwhile, half of his large intestine gets completely blown out of his oh, body. Oh, God. He says, I rolled down the stairs. I'm begging them to call 911 uh, because the guy who shot me, he's in a panic. Well, and at that very moment, by the grace of God... Wait, so he was accidentally shot? No, he oh, was shot okay. on purpose. He was shot purposely, okay, sure. But by the grace of God, the shooter's girlfriend opened the door to the house wow. and called 911. Amazing. So he says, the guy that shot me, his older brother and a friend of his took me outside and they start putting me in a car. And I don't know if they're going to take me to a hospital or if they're going to dump me somewhere, but an ambulance showed up, blocked them off, and told them, you got to give us this kid. Yeah. And he said that ambulance saved my life. Yeah. Great. Johnny, <laughs> Johnny says, I had nothing to do with him getting shot. Yeah. If an agent said it or whoever said it, they're out of order. Well, Rick's family and the task force all arrived in the waiting room at the hospital. There's a physical altercation <laughs> between Richard senior yeah. and the FBI handlers. Good. And Richard blames them for getting sunshot mm -hmm. uh, because at this point they think he's going to die. Right. So they're all hanging out by the snack machines um, and that they realized if he does die, this is going to be a massive scandal right. for the DPD. The kid is 14 years old. Yeah, dealing drugs, yeah. working for the FBI. That's crazy, dude. Um, surgeon uh, Dr. Bowles performs the surgery to save his life, sits by him all night, 12 hours. Didn't think he was going to make it, but he did. Nice, dude. So Bernstein says, I really honestly believe this is the turning point because this point, the feds, 
the DPD, they could have pumped the brakes and said, all right, we fucked up. You know what? Like, no, come on. Your, your stomach's good. Just go out there to the club. Yeah, because... Oh, gross. Here's what they think. They were like, wait a minute. He just got shot. This could increase his street cred. Oh, what a <laughs> fucking pieces of shit. Yep. Fed pieces of shit, dude. So, Worshi says the police instructed me to say the shooting was an accident because it was the best way to sweep it under the rug and I can continue to work for them if I said it was an accident. So at this point, they push it into high gear. You know, they're going to send him back into the Curry gang because uh, if there was any belief that he was an informant before, that belief is going to get thrown out the window because if he was a snitch, Johnny would be in handcuffs right now. So by the mere fact of him going back to his old neighborhood, it built up his reputation yeah. as the drug dealer. Sure. Not an informant. Hey, let me see that scar, man. Exactly. So during his recovery, Johnny calls him and says, where have you been? What's going on? And eventually Rick met him and confronted him. And he said, you thought I was an informant? You had me shot? Well, Johnny denies all this. Wow. So he fucking, he confronted him though, huh? Right. And Johnny says to, in present day, he says, now he might've mentioned it. I don't know, but I had nothing to do with it. But from that point forward, Rick was in tighter than ever with the Curry gang. Chapter four. Yes. Damien Lucas. And we're live from Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, Nevada, where Top Rank presents World Championship Boxing. <laughs> well, Johnny Curry and his entourage head out to Las Vegas for the Hearns Hagler fight. Wow. <laughs> Hearns Hagler, that's big. Yeah, of course. Some of the most epic boxing matches of all time. Yeah, Hearns Hitman, you know, from Detroit. <laughs> Hearns Hitman De Hagler. Detroit's favorite son. <laughs> yeah. So he's, you know, down there to fight Marvis Marlon Hagler and mm -hmm. uh, all the major urban drug dealers of Detroit. They're not going to miss the fight. Nope. Uh, you got to remember, this is a golden era of boxing. I want to go back and watch the fight now. And see I might, there was a trilogy. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, so everybody's talking about it. And Tommy Hearns grew up and socialized with a lot of the black drug dealers in the era. And the joke was, last guy in Detroit turns off the lights because everybody's going to be at the fights. So Rick said, oh, yeah. I was asked to go so out there jacked. and get information about some people that were involved in the drug trade and their corrections and how the drugs, excuse me, connections and how the drugs were coming in and just basically as much intel as I could get out of there. They gave him a fake ID. He's nice. 15 at the time. Nice. Okay. And they give him a fake ID that says he's 21 years old. So not only that, they give him money. Um, and they set him up in the casino. I mean, this is pretty nuts. Yeah, man. This is really, this is some real fed shit right here. Yeah. It's real, as you would say, some real spook shit. Some real spook shit. Well, the, <laughs> I didn't want to use. Oh, I see what you, <laughs> okay. yeah. Well, just so we're clear, I wasn't intending spook shit to be that kind <laughs> yeah, of spook shit. Got it. So, uh, Rick says there's an FBI report detailing this whole operation and it shows everything it's printed out like here's their hotel room yeah it's an itinerary yeah, dude. 400 for the airline Fuck, these guys are making money dude that's yeah. why these guys are making hands over fist money uh-huh 600 for incidentals <laughs> and then he said and then i got another 1500 bucks for just like pocket money yeah i of walking around Fuck money. it, hey, dude yeah so good gig according to bernstein podcasting doesn't pay like that no <laughs> they're at the fight 
And Johnny Curry and his entourage's reservations and fight tickets mysteriously disappear. Wow. Or maybe disappear is the wrong word. Right. They never existed from oh, the start. Oh, no. So Johnny had reached out to a member of his crew, a guy by the name of Leon Lucas, and him and Johnny had kind of gotten into a beef over drugs and money and uh, some product that had been confiscated in a previous raid. Right. Well, Johnny Curry held him responsible for the uh -oh. drugs and the money, and Leon said... Let me start to make things up to you. I'll provide you hotel arrangements and tickets to the Hagler and Hearns fight. Right. Well, Hearns says, now he assured Johnny that it was all taken care of. Well, when Curry and his posse get out there, nothing was handled. Nothing was taken care of. And when he got back to Detroit, some of the lieutenants, not at the direction of Curry himself, but some of uh, the additional lieutenants, they go over to Leon Lucas's house in an effort to intimidate him for basically stiffen yeah. the boss. Yeah. So what those individuals that went there decided to do was to shoot the place up. Oh, boy. In a drive-by. Oh, boy. Well, Leon Lucas wasn't there. Right. In the process, Leon's nephew, Damian Lucas, 13-year-old, mm -hmm. oh, no. was living with him, shot and killed. No. Mm -hmm. And this, of course, becomes a huge hot like, topic. Like for, through the wall or yeah. outside? or He was in the house. Wow. So this makes the press. Of course. You know, everybody's like 13-year-old kid killed by drive-by. Yeah, yeah. Well, Herm says, I heard Johnny on wiretaps um, shortly after we got the authority to tap his phone, and he was lamenting whoever he was talking with that you know those guys shouldn't have gone over there. I told them, don't go over there. He was sorry that this whole thing had taken place, probably because it was bringing a lot of heat on him yeah. and the drug organization. Now, at this point, the doc, um, they put up a, a, just a, two sentences, and it says, as a condition of his interview, Johnny Curry would not answer questions about the killing of Damian Locus. Oh, boy. So, who I knows? I wonder why. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Dietz says Rick Wershe. I ain't trying to catch him more time. I mean, he obviously knows something, but doesn't want to. Yeah, doesn't want to be known as a rat. Yeah, or a baby killer. Well, that too. Rick Wershe comes back into play in this whole yeah, story. Yeah, obviously, baby killer. Right. Um, Rick says he, you know, uh, listening in on a was listening in on a conversation over a speakerphone, and he heard Johnny talking to Gil Hill. Right. And where she says, that's when I found out that Gil Hill was responsible for covering up the kid's murder. Yeah. Johnny placed a call to Gil, put it on speaker. We're riding around in Johnny's BMW. Basically, Gil told him everything that was going on and that he had it under control and that he would be in touch, not to worry about anything. He had already been to meet with Gil and he said he gave Gil 10 grand to cover up the kid's murder. Oy. Yeah. So, of course, this information... Is Gil Hill still alive? Uh, no. no. That's he's why he's not in he's not four. In, yeah. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> we'll get to it. So, of course, this information made him incredibly dangerous to a lot of people. Um, yeah. According to Schwartz, Curry told this to him while he was incarcerated at the Texarkana Federal Corrections Facility in Texas. Well, Herm says, ultimately, what happened is the DPD, under the direction of Gil Hill framed an innocent man wow whose name was lakesh davis and that guy got popped for the drive-by correct oh no well part of it was from richard worsey jr and part of it was from the wiretaps that we had strongly suggested that they had the wrong guy locked up 
and he was facing a life term. So the feds are saying you got the wrong guy. Yeah. And they also know that they've got wiretaps of, you know, all this information yep. and your testimony saying it's not him. Well, remember big Nate the Hitman? Yep. He says, well, sometimes he had told us to put the gun in somebody's car, one of our enemies. Ah. And then he had the police pull up on them and said, wait, wait, is that a gun hanging out of your seat? Mm-hmm. Well, the people don't know that he just slipped the gun in their car. Same thing with the way he did the drugs. He used to tell us to set people up with drug busts too. That's wow. the way they got their busts. Well, Schwartz says, subsequently, I was ordered by my special agent in charge to gather all of the information that we had with regards to the Damien Lucas murder yeah. and to take it directly to Chief Hart of DPD. Wow. I did so, and nothing ever occurred. To this day, it's still an open investigation. Wow. Well, then we learn that police Chief William Hart was later indicted in a federal probe of the theft of nearly 2.6 million from a secret police fund. <laughs> Fucking scumbag. Now, 2.6 million, that ain't like drug money buys. No. Fun. That's got to be like pension or something. Huge. I mean, I guess. I mean, who's got 2.6 million just no, sitting I, around? No, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Unless how... it was like seize cash, maybe? I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, Lakesh Davis remained in jail and was facing trial. And Herm says, I made sure Davis's defense attorney got the information that he needed to get him exonerated. Right. Ultimately, that resulted in me being subpoenaed to state court. Right. And where demands were met on me to reveal the source of the information. Well, it became very touch and go because there would be extreme retaliation against the Wershey family. So I refused to do it. And I was threatened with contempt of court. Ultimately, they dismissed the case against the case Davis and they freed him at that point. Wow. So, so it doesn't say how. Yeah. Well. So you guys. So you. Wow. We so don't know judge, how. Judge probably ended up just kind of seeing what was going on Correct. here. Correct. And I don't. What a piece of shit. I just don't think there's an honest player in this entire operation. Fuck these people, man. I mean, Herm, to his credit, says he won't divulge the source. But then again, he's like, I got a 14-year-old kid working for me. Yeah. But he said I had problems with it. Right. Well, Gil Hill. Um, was investigated for his role in taking a possible payoff and possibly bearing the charges, but he was never charged. And then Gil Hill starts to run for mayor, and this all comes up during his campaign. So Herm says, at that point, I didn't realize to what extent the corruption had spread throughout the entire police department. Well, Schwartz, meanwhile, he says they did a raid on Kathy uh, Volson Curry's house which was in June of 87. And they find laminated cards that hold the personal confidential information uh, for Gil Hill and Jimmy Harris, Mm. uh, which ended up being the beginning of all the rumors that we had heard with regards to funneling the information from the DPD to the Curry organization. Okay, So then we see a jailhouse interview with Chris Hansen and Richard Wershey. And Hansen says, was that uncommon? Jealous interview reminds me of Schoolhouse Rock, sorry. <laughs> so that was, Hanson says, was that uncommon for Kathy to have that kind of access? And where she says she had access to whatever she wanted. Mm-hmm. Like what? And where she says police reports, surveillance reports, whatever she wanted. Um, and then Chris says on Johnny. And he says, Johnny, 
I mean, other people, whoever needed the stuff. Right. Well, Chris says, so if she said to Sergeant Jimmy Harris, I need to know what the narcotics cops are doing on Rick, on Johnny, on anybody else, he'd flip them to her? And where she's like, yeah, no problem. Right. Fucking A. Well, back to Herm, he says, the matter of the Damon Lucas murder was never resolved. I knew who did it, but proving it was something else. Uh, were she truthfully, I wish I never would have got roped into the Damien Lucas thing because I didn't know 30 years later it would still be affecting my life. Wow. So let's move to chapter five. It's called Kill That White Boy. Oh, boy. Well, Nate, Nate the Hitman says he got the call one day and was told to kill White Boy Rick. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. He was uh, basically told, we got to kill that white boy. So... Right. We see the scene from Beverly Hills Cop and we see Gil playing his part as oh Inspector Todd. And he's like, my career is finished, but I promise you I will not go down alone. Oh, no. It's perfect framing. Fucking foreshadowing. Nate says, I know after he did Beverly Hills Cop and all that, he was trying to stay away from everybody. Sure. But he would meet you somewhere as long as he feels like he was safe. For what, though? What was he meeting up with? He was dealing the drugs? He was stealing, selling keys. He Just like listen he, to this he, passage right yeah. here. Like he would meet you at the island, the waterfront. But yeah, he said that basically he wants us to make sure that we kill white boy Rick. Right. Make sure that boy is dead. But we got to make sure that it doesn't lead back to no one. I said, well, you know me. All my hits don't lead back to no one. So Gil Hill has essentially put the... The Kibosh, wow, man. You know? Holy shit. With I never knew this. When did this information, like, when did this information come out about um, Ill? It, I mean, I don't like, know the exact year, but... Yeah, it was, like, known for a while. There's going to be another disclaimer coming up mm -hmm. that might answer the question. Interesting, okay. So, <clears throat> Bernstein says, of course, Rick had gotten deeper and risen higher than anyone ever thought he could. And Rick says, at some point, these guys said, sooner or later, something's going to go bad and we're going to be held accountable. Well, Rick's attorney, Ralph, says they don't debrief him. They don't send him to boarding school where he can get over what he was subjected to. They just cut him loose and send him back out on the streets. It was like they never said, hey, Rick, great job, <laughs> but stop selling drugs, okay? Right. Stop buying drugs. Um, they just never called him again. And... Um, he didn't go back to school. He knew the drug trade. So he just became a product of his environment. And Rick openly says, I got addicted to the lifestyle. You know, I, I was addicted to money. I was addicted to women. Yeah. Easy fucking money. I mean, how addicted to the lifestyle? Of course you are. Like, of course. Well, the only difference addicted was... Did not make money, not doing shit pretty much? But I guess it's it's very it's riddled with anxiety. I'm sure. Oh, I can't, can't even imagine. Uh, but he's doing the work. He's just not getting the government stipend, so he's probably making even more money because yeah. he doesn't have the fucking feds around his back. <laughs> yeah, he's like all these deals I could have done, but I had to deal with the feds hanging right. around me. So they'd gleaned enough information when they cut him loose, and you know that was all just to get the Curry indictments. And uh, as soon as they they flipped him and let him back on the street, the indictment drops. So, like I said, Curry, he ended up going on trial. He right. gets his 20 years. And Deed says, Rick will tell you it wasn't the smartest thing to do. 
to date the wife of a man you just put in prison. But it happened. Mm -hmm. And Johnny says, I don't hold him against anything. She was getting high. Yeah. <laughs> what could you What could you do? Right, right, right. And Rick's like, I was 17. I was having fun. Uh, to be honest, dating long her. Long digging that ass. <laughs> to, to be dating her back then was like dating a movie star or something. Well, Chris Hansen says, I remember one time um, I had a 63 black Corvette convertible with red interior. I like the way he's got to make this himself about him. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but he's driving it downtown. And he says, Rick Worshi pulls up next to him. And I forget what kind of car, but it was relatively new. And uh, they say, hey, Chris, what's going on? Uh, he was enjoying a celebrity moment. He was a kid. And he was famous for all the reasons, but he was clearly enjoying the life. Well, let's check in on Hitman Nate again. Okay. Uh, Nate happened to be there too. Wow. And he said, I saw white boy Rick's ride. So we followed him, and we sped up trying to get oh, to him. Oh, boy. Um, so according to Rick, he so says... Wait, on the same night that Chris Hansen saw him? No, he didn't make that clear. I'm just kind of uh, making okay. it. I'm just kind of making a loose okay, connection. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> same okay. car, though. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So... <laughs> you sly motherfucker. Rick says he and Roy were sitting at a stoplight, and Rick is in the passenger seat. And he looks over his shoulder, and he sees a van pulling up, and all of a sudden, the door slowly slides open, and Nate's just sitting there with a Mac 10. No. And he says, Roy, gun it. So they run the light, and then the van catches up to him. Nate slides the door out again and starts shooting, but it jams on him. No. So they hit the car like okay. four or five times. Wow. But if the Mac 10 doesn't jam, they're dead. So. The Mac 10 doesn't jam, they're dead. Yeah, the gun that Hitman Nate. Oh, was yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Got you. Sorry, 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 you're right. So, yeah, the other guys are dead. They're done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they would have. Obviously, guy, I got, I'm stupid. Yeah. So. And begged. Yeah. Um, yes. yes. <laughs> where she says, Look, I had friends that were murdered. To be honest, you're a kid and you don't realize every day that you're playing with fire, that you could walk out your door one day and your life would be over. Well, Rick was a drug dealer without the guidance of the task force for about one year before his arrest. Mm. Keep in mind, his career takes off. Right. I mean, you're going to kick ass when you don't have the feds yeah. you know, checking in on you every day. So this is when he becomes what's known as a weight man. Do you know what a weight man is? Mm, I can guess. I'm assuming it's W-E-I-G-H-T, weight man. Maybe. So it means you have a line of credit. Got it. His uh, suppliers are from Miami. Yep. So he's bringing in drugs to Detroit. On credit. And a lot of them in a very short period and, you know, fast time. Yep. He wasn't a drug dealer for long, but while he was, he was one of the top dogs. Johnny says, from a scale of one to 10, I'm a 10. I say he's about a two. Rick was nowhere near me. Well, guys like the Chambers or guys like the Currys, they controlled sections of the city. Okay. It's kind of like the mafia. Yeah. You you know, you got the, what are they called? The, the best friends. The, the, the best friends. Yeah. And then you got Maserati Rick over here. Yeah. You know. Sure. But Johnny's whole point is Rick didn't control anything. Johnny says he used to say, where do they, where are they getting this stuff from? It's got to be this Chris Hansen guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Fucking Chris Hansen. Well, Chris says. I never set out to make Rick look like a bigger drug dealer than he was. Were there some exaggerations? 
perhaps total <laughs> Dick Thornburg yeah, journalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roll that tape. <laughs> oh my God! Tell me you're getting this. Chris Hansen is very, he's very radio voicey. According to Bernstein, there were seeds of truth to what they were saying. He was socializing with all the major players, so it's kind of hard for the media to divorce all that. Yeah. Well, with, with Hansen, with not just Hansen. You got the, you know, the press as well, like, you know, Dietz, the TV Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, you know, whether he was a drug kingpin, a drug lord, a drug prince, a drug prodigy, he was a 17-year-old kid dealing multi-kilos of dope. This sounds like the lying media getting the feds to sell drugs and pinning it on some little fucking poor little kid is what it sounds like but to I me. But I mean, it's, it's a big story. I mean, how many 17-year-old kingpins have you met dealing drugs? I don't know how many of them were, I mean, none, but I don't know how many of them there would have been if the feds weren't involved. He may have never even gotten there. Uh, absolutely. Well, so his, fuck them. His, his, uh, defense, they created him. Correct. The additional defense attorney, Steve Fishman, says, Johnny and his brother, they were grown men, Okay. This is a kid. That's the difference. A 17-year-old white kid. It was impossible for him to have been what people have pretended that he was. And where she says, it wasn't like I went out and said, I want to become the big drug dealer and want everyone in the state of Michigan to know me. I was led down this path by the law enforcement. Yeah. Okay. I think about it every day. I wish I would have walked away. I was a kid and I was stupid. So Bernstein says, when you look at the end of the day, you know, law enforcement created almost the perfect criminal. And law enforcement created the perfect persona, a perfect character for the news, and they ate it up. <laughs> Hanson. Yeah, they cre- they created the story too, with the for the for the news reporters to read, I bet, even. They yeah. went as that of course, far, I'm sure. They're, of course they're dropping uh, shit to so bad. The, yeah, to the to the reporters, Hanson. I covered it a lot. Uh, I covered it a lot. Rick will say I had him on TV every day. Well, obviously that's not true. He's just saying that to make a point. He probably interviewed him every t- day, whether or not it made it to air or not, who knows? Um, and Rick says, Look, I got convicted through the media, through the papers. I was enemy number one, and they said a lot of stuff that was totally untrue. Well, we see one of these headlines, and it says, Judge calls drug suspect worse than mass murderer. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, there were stories about Rick ordering hits on people that weren't true. Um, and, of course, they, nothing was ever, no charges were ever brought. Right. Well, let's circle back with uh, Judge Dana Hathaway. Her grandfather was a judge in Detroit at okay. the time uh, Rick's case came up and he presided over the case for a brief period of time and he called him worse than a mass murder oh what a fucking piece of shit set a one million dollar bond wow highest bond her grandfather had ever set for any defendant god hansen if you have so much evidence that he's you know been involved in a drug hit bring a case if not Rumors don't count in court. Hanson knows how to play both sides. Fuck Hanson, dude. I so, hate him now, too. So Scumbag. From his reporting on May 20th. I bet he's a fucking pedophile. 1987. Rick Wershey and a man named Roy Grissom. You see him, by the way. He's like walking down the street in a trench coat. <laughs> were arrested driving down Hampshire near Dickerson. Hi, I'm Chris Hanson. So uh, his attorney, Ralph, says it ended up with his arrest, which is kind of an interesting story because it was probably a setup. Right. I think everything's a setup in this fucking situation. It is, situation. dude. 
Well, Rick at this point, uh, he'd had hooked up with two Colombian wholesalers uh, in Miami. So they're sending up kilos to Detroit in trailers. Nice. And he gets an 18 kilo shipment. They drop off 10 keys uh, of cocaine to a customer. And then they have a pile of cash in the car. And they passed a police car that was on routine traffic duty. All right. They, right. they get pulled Ooh. over. Oh, God. So allegedly uh-huh. for rolling a stop sign. Right. Now, at this point, there's a bunch of people on the porch watching this right in front of Rick's house. And they're seeing this unfold. And they're like, you know, family's like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, he's under arrest. And they're like, for what? And they're like, possession of drugs. And Rick said, I don't have any drugs. Well, they said they were in the car. He said, search it. So one of the police officers reaches into the back of the car and pulls out a bag of cash. Okay. So Rick's dad runs out there and grabs the bag of money. Oh, my God. So according to Hanson, officers say a tussle started. A fight breaks out between Wershey, Grissom, and his officers. And at this point, investigators say that Wershey just starts running. Wow. Well, 25 minutes. With cash? They don't know. Okay. 25 minutes later, the police find him, and they roughed him up. To the point where he had to go to the hospital. Nice. So for the next three to four hours, the police are combing the neighborhood, looking for drugs, and then they get a, quote, anonymous tip. Oh, boy. So more police show up, and eventually they found a box of eight kilos of cocaine under a back porch a block away from the traffic stop. Mm. Yeah. Sounds to me like totally coordinated setup. Well, Dietz says Rick believed the whole thing was a setup that the cops were watching him and that they knew he would either have drugs or money. So they probably had drugs ready in to case. Go yeah. In case he already sold him and just had cash. Right. So, or maybe they had the money ready to go and they're like, fuck, dude, these guys gonna have the drugs. They had both dude. Yeah. Whatever. They yeah. probably had fucking grenades, you know, with his fingerprints on him for Christ's sake. God. So, um, Some bullshit. He gets an attorney to represent him by the name of William Buffalino. And, um, he brought motions to suppress the evidence. Well, shortly thereafter, Coleman Young's niece told Rick, everything's going to be okay. All right. This is Johnny's girl that he was fucking. Yeah. Uh, but you need to get different attorneys. Um, he says, you need African-American attorneys. That'll look better for the jury. Interesting. And he says, why don't you just hire Ed Bell and Sam Gardner and everything will be okay. Oh, boy. When they went forward, they changed their strategy. They decided not to heavily pursue the idea that these drugs were not Rick's, which ended up being a fatal mistake. Oh, boy. So Rick <laughs> says Sam Gardner. Should have with the white lawyers or the Jewish ones. Sam Gardner was Coleman Young's lawyer at the time. Mm-hmm. So the mayor's like, just use my lawyer. That's some fucking <laughs> bullshit, dude. This is some scummy federal bullshit, dude. Well, according to Rick, the only reason they... Coleman Young made him use that attorney was to just watch him and report back to, to Coleman Young. Yeah. It wasn't to help him. Yeah. So every time he's going into the judge, his lawyers are saying, you got nothing to worry about. Oh, Things no. are looking good. You're not even going to go to trial. Ah. Well, before they went to trial, his attorneys agreed to withdraw all the pretrial motions. They agreed not to admit any evidence in front of the jury. Um, and most importantly, that he had ever worked for the government and even more importantly, that he was working for the government since the age of 14. So the oh, jury well. never hears any of this. Yeah. Well, 
Rick says, basically the fix was in and Coleman didn't want me on the streets. So then being my attorneys, they tanked the case. Of course. Well, according to defense attorney Steve Fishman, later on, his later defense attorney, he says, I think it was a whirlwind that just kind of swept him up. Because the phone yeah. conversation I remember having with him is he was baffled by his notoriety. And then that time when I saw him, he's waiting on his jury and all these assholes are around him and all of them wanted to be convicted, wanted him to be convicted, I'm sure. And that's why they showed up. Right. So Joe, the Detroit Free Press reporter says, Rick took the nickname and ran with it. Of course, this is probably his counsel right. telling him to do all this. Well, God, it's so bad. Yep. I hope some of these people get sued later. Well, <laughs> apparently he was wearing fur coats in at trial. And Joe's okay. like, why he didn't need to wear the fur coats. No. He didn't need to show up with a crew in no. the, you know, stands wearing beepers and gold chains. God beepers. He came to court looking like a drug dealer. Right. He said, Rick, if those jurors see all these little crooks running around with you, you're dead. Well, true. let's let's hear Nate the hitman's side yeah. of this. Nate says, we was told to show up down there with our expensive cars, jewelry, and just get in front of the news um, that we were like his workers. Yeah. You know, Kingpin's on trial. Drug Lord is on trial. Oh, God. And his friends got to go down there trying to free him. Some police ah, officers boy. paid us to do this. That's hilarious. Yeah. Ain't, ain't nobody ever heard of him being no drug lord until they print that shit in the paper. What the hell was he a kingpin of? Us blacks? Oh, hell no. Yep. We made it seem like that, but he wasn't. So <laughs> Seth Ferrante. Yeah, get all the heat off you. He says they had a newspaper article where they actually listed him as the leader of the Best Friends gang, which Yay. is crazy. Best Friends were like his hit gang that were, were like this hit gang yeah. that had over 100 murders. It was Jeez. just incredible. Well, Swickert says... We had to rely on law enforcement. Wow. This is again these it's these crazy. fucking reporters saying, uh, they we they showed us this evidence. It looked legit to us. Yeah, obviously. We're not we never fabricated anything, you know. It's uh, like Evil Knievel's insurance company on <laughs> written on a napkin. There was enough to keep us going and keep us busy with crazy stories, though. Yeah. You had characters like Maserati Rick, who survived an assassination. That's attempt. a pretty cool name, Maserati Rick. Yeah, though. I like that one. And then he ended up getting murdered in his hospital bed. Oh, oh, God. And in his nightstand, he had a pistol and a crucifix and rosemary Rosemary beads. Yeah. Rosemary. Get this. Get this. He was buried in a Mercedes-Benz coffin. They show it. It's just the coffin that has a Mercedes-Benz logo on it. Oh, dude. It's like a little kid's bed that has the (laughs) wheels on it. Wow, that's disgraceful. at his feet. Oh, gross. So, yeah, it was quite the coffin. And these tires? Did it have spinners? Dude, the tires were like 18-inch rims. Spinners, though? No spinners? (laughs) I didn't see a bad Did it have like an Alpine Alpine base system? Dude, it had a blau punk. What's that? (laughs) Like better than Alpine back oh, in the God. day. Blau punk. Yeah. Sounds like a, okay. It's before your time. Okay. Joe says, look, you didn't have to make this stuff up, but that's how the cops had it set up. Um, and that's how they listed him. And that's how we reported it. And that's how we sourced it. And we use graphic illustrations. And that was based on law enforcement documents and sources. I love it. Well, Hitman Nate says it was a political move. That's why they could put him away forever. Yeah. And Rick says, Nate was showing up down there. Um, and we saw Nate there. And, you know, 
he was trying to do some harm to me. Well, Hitman Nate, he says, I I was planning on shooting him at the courthouse. Wow, really? Yeah. He had like a one of he those. Is that a hit on him though? Yeah, he's got a gun. He's on a rooftop. What the fuck? He said, we, we already had the van set up. I got a scope on the gun and I'm just waiting for him to walk in. So he still has a hit on him. This, uh, I mean, Gil. Wow. This all goes back to Gill and That's the deep crazy. So he's waiting for him. And then he gets a call and they're like, he's in the courtroom. He's like, what do you mean he's in the courtroom? I've been waiting for him and nobody showed up yet. And he's like, yeah, they took him underneath the tunnel. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> he thought he was going to roll into the. No, yeah. the criminals always come into the bottom. Well, <laughs> Rick goes on trial. And of course, he gets convicted and goes for life. So let's get into chapter six called. So then Nate's like, All right, I got to go to jail now. <laughs> How do I find my way inside that prison? Uh, chapter six, backbone. I took the contract. You know, hey, he's no, his blood or my blood. I need that $50,000. <laughs> it's either his blood or my blood. Well, Herm says operation was actually called Operation Backbone. The reason I named it Backbone, I figured you need some backbone to work this case, you know? Oh, great name. And that time, it was the most significant police corruption investigation in the state of Michigan. It means that you have a yellow backbone. Well, keep in mind, Herm's trying to go after the cops. No backbone. He says the objective was, I knew through the Curry investigation and the Damian Lucas homicide that the investigation was compromised. And I knew that there were corrupt police officers involved. So that was the objective to get these corrupt cops. Right. Well, attorney Ralph says, he called me out of the blue and I said, what's going on, Rick? And he said, well, the FBI's here and they want me to help them. They have said that they will help me if I help them. So this is, he's in jail at this point and the feds are going in and saying, hey man. Help me help you. Yes. But if you cooperate on this undercover project and everything works fine, the best we can do is maybe take you out of state custody and put you in federal witness protection program in a f- federal facility. It's not the fucking witness protection where you're ordering ketchup with egg noodles. All right. You're in the joint in okay. witness protection. Okay. And it might just be a better situation. And if you ever come up and you're eligible for parole, this is Herm. I'll come back and testify for you. And he said, I'm in. So they shook hands. They made an agreement. Well, the feds during that time, they're trying to get Coleman Young. They want him bad. And, you know, he's the king. He's the king of Detroit. He's the man. Yeah. Well, Rick says the FBI wanted to use my relationship with Kathy to target the mayor as well as police corruption. They were also targeting Willie Volson. He was married to the mayor's sister. He was Kathy's father. And everyone knew that Willie had pull in Detroit. The other target of operation was Jimmy Harris. He was a high-ranking homicide detective. Uh, he did whatever Mayor Young told him to do. Yeah. Uh, he covered up the things that the mayor's family did. Mm-hmm. And to my knowledge, for the right price, they were willing to protect drug shipments from anywhere. I mean, if it was in the city of Detroit... They could make a buck off it. They were willing to provide police protection. Yeah, 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 yeah. Herm says, so I get Rick's sister to cooperate with me as well. And she had a relationship with Kathy as well. Um, He had a federal uh, agent by the name of Mike Castro who had served extensively in the Caribbean and knew the Caribbean pretty well. 
Well, Rick says, I introduced Castro, who was an undercover FBI agent to Kathy. He posed as my supplier for Miami. Mm -hmm. And me knowing Kathy and her family and how greedy they were, I knew Kathy would cut into them. And that's exactly what happened. So <clears throat> what they do is they arranged a dinner with uh, Roshi's sister, Kathy, and Mike Castro. Now, Herm attended, but he's off to the side, but it's being recorded. Uh -huh. So during that conversation, Kathy was enamored with the prospect of getting back into the cocaine business. Because you got to remember, Johnny's in the joint. Right. Her eyes lit up. And at that point, she offered police assistance. So next we see undercover footage. Well, what the feds do is they invited Willie and James Harris down to Florida and they have a, an under, uh, undercover yacht and the whole thing's bugged. Wow. And they sit them down. Sick, dude. And they're trying to negotiate the deal. And the feds, one of the undercovers is like, so basically we're businessmen. You know, we're in the drug business. Yeah. Th by the way, the acting is garbage. Oh, I was sure. like, be a little bit more subtle, buddy. And, you know, we're looking for somebody to fly in. You know, we're looking... We need people helping out with package deliveries. Harris is like, okay, yeah. And, you know, agents like, only us and you know, you know, it's drugs. So no one's going to know anything. Dude's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so love it. Agents like, we're going to probably ship up, you know, a plane with 100 keys. You know, you provide the protection and protection from the police. You can handle that, right? He's like, what you're talking about is Dude, no I, problem. Oh, man. So I would love to get into a conversation like that with feds and just be like, just say it's all ready to go and nothing ever shows up. Yeah, nothing. just ditch them. Oh, sorry. I, uh, I got high. I overslept. <laughs> I got high last night. Well, Harris brags and says, I've got three Detroit police officers ready to go. And the agent's like, you can trust them? Well, cool. We'll have our equipment, our van, whatever, loaded up, just like the money laundering operation. You escort us away from the airports, uh, out of the highways, sayonara. For a successful mission and a good escape, how's 40 grand sound? Yeah. He's like, yeah, we're good to go. <laughs> FBI agent, partners in crime, brother. Oh, yeah, baby. Like, who the fuck talks like this? Yeah. So <clears throat> after the bust, enter Chris Hansen. Chris Hansen just must be living and breathing and sleeping, you know, uh, drug bus. I mean, I don't know. Well... According to Hanson, Willie and Kathy, along with Detroit Police Sergeant Jimmy Harris, were charged last month in an FBI corruption case alleging that police officers took payoffs to protect drug and drug money shipments coming into all Detroit metro airports. Right. Well, Chris says any other mayor would have been glad to have corruption out of their police department. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Unless your brother-in-law is the head of the corruption. Yeah. Um, and then this guy goes on to call me a stool pigeon. Oh. He's like, that's like an old gangster term yeah. for a rat. Right. Well, Herm says 18 corrupt police officers and politicians uh, all went down as a direct result of Worshi's involvement. And they all, they all go to prison. And without white boy Rick or Richard Worshi Jr., as I think he's preferred to be called at this point, none of this happens. Well, Worshi says they haven't even scratched the surface. The corruption runs so deep right it's insane yeah man i doubt that it's any different now well herm says willie was a braggart and he would always shoot his mouth off about gil hill so at the end of the operation they're like we got to get gil hill 
This so, is so crazy. <laughs> what year are we in roughly like right now? 88? Damn, still yeah. shit. I mean, it's Beverly Hills Cop, uh, too. I think it's 87. Yeah, wow. So they wiretap uh, Willie's car, and they arrange for undercover agents to meet with Gil Hill and Willie, and it happened. During the conversation, Mike Castro let it be known that he was a money launderer, and they were drug dealers. And Herm's thought was, if Gil Hill wanted to get up and run out of that meeting, why didn't he run? He's an innocent guy. But if he stayed, that meant something else. Not only did he stay, but he had a conversation, which was taped. And in that conversation, Gil said he wanted to get money from Mike Castro. So I got authorization to pay him 20 grand. But the thing languished. It languished and languished before the, quote, bureaucrats could make up their mind. So when they finally made up their mind, the trail had cooled. I think Gil at that point, being a smart guy, smelled a rat and he didn't take the bait. So he lost an opportunity. Now this gets me thinking, Gil was working with another federal operator or had a, had a rat inside the feds. Yeah. That Herm didn't know. Another, about. maybe another fed branch even. Dude, it's a mole within a mole. It's an yeah. enigma inside yeah. and wrapped inside yeah. an enigma. So Joe Swickert says, so now he's this major criminal mastermind? I don't think so. Was he a guy who played fast and loose? Probably. And maybe he crossed the line a couple of times. And again, this is the free press reporter defending Gill, which just boggles my mind. So he said the feds were trying their damnedest. Um, they were ho- solid, hardworking guys. They're not, they weren't dogging it. Uh, but if they would have caught him, they would have. But right. they didn't. So reports, reporters were chasing Gil Hill down the street, asking him if he's involved in taking bribes. And of course, he's in the middle of running for mayor to replace yeah. Coleman. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't go well. So it kind of oh, scuttles shit. his run for mayor. I'm sure that wasn't fraudulent. Yeah, but Gil blames Rick for him not becoming Ah, uh, I'm sure. And Rick says, I think helping you know the FBI with Operation Backbone was the biggest mistake of my life because it created enemies that I couldn't even imagine were possible. And I was a kid. Yeah. So let's move to chapter the seven. The federal government. <clears throat> chapter seven, parole. In Michigan, you're supposed to have an opportunity to have a parole hearing every five years. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Well, Rick Wershey has only had one parole hearing in 28 years. Oh, in fucking. Yeah. Uh, I hope somebody gets sued at the end of this. So that parole hearing was in 2003, and it was a, uh, a spectacle. Uh, at the time of the parole hearing, Rick had already been in prison for 14 years. And when you're up for parole, the parole board sends letters to the original trial judge. In Rick's case, it was a judge by the name of Thomas Jackson, who'd been recently retired. And Jackson wrote back and said, I have no problem with this young man getting out. He served a long time in jail. Then they send the letter at the same time to the prosecuting attorney's office. Yeah. Well, Michael Duggan, he was the prosecuting attorney at the time. He's now the mayor of the city of Detroit. This is as of 2017. I think he still is, by the way. Wow. The first response from that office, um, we have no problem with him getting out. Well, two weeks later, they get another letter, and they're like, "Eh, disregard that last letter we sent No. We don't want him out. So somewhere in that two weeks, somebody got to him. Feds. And in the letter, it was a multi-page letter. They were saying that 
Rick was responsible for the downfall of the city. Of oh, come on. <laughs> oh, these fucking cops, dude. So gross. Rick was also involved in cases as a juvenile where the witnesses just disappeared. Yeah, probably because they moved out of Detroit. You oh, yeah. Or, I mean? yeah, I mean, there's lots of reasons. <laughs> they grew up. Yeah. They were like, fuck this place. Yeah. Oh, you, know, you couldn't find Ray Ray or Big Steve? <laughs> or how about, hey, I'm going to college. Yeah. Doesn't sound like they look too hard. They're no longer Toys R Us kids. Anyway, um, Ralph says, if you ask him today, this is his attorney, he says he'll tell you he doesn't remember that letter and he didn't remember signing it. If you look at the letter, the name right underneath Michael Duggan is that of chief assistant, you guessed it, Samuel Gardner. Fucking prick. Who was the attorney that Coleman yeah. Young God assigned damn. to him. Yeah, what a piece of shit. Well, Rick says he wanted to keep me in prison as long as he could. I mean, here's a guy that was my lawyer and was the number two prosecutor, told me I had nothing to worry about. And then this letter that was so outlandish and crazy gets sent to the parole board. I think it proves that they threw the case from the beginning and that their ultimate goal was to keep me in prison. Well, I agree. TV reporter Deitz says, I went to the hearing, and in the first day of the hearing, I heard federal, federal agents say that Rick was very helpful, instrumental in bringing down dirty cops and drug dealers in Detroit, yeah. and that they believed he should be let out of prison. Right. Or, you know, paroled. And, you know, you come back the next day, and it's an entirely different story. The Wayne County prosecuting attorney brings in three or four homicide detectives. Now, remember William Rice? He's the one that's like, Gil's a nice guy, you know? He says, I was approached by Deputy Chief Dennis Richardson and was told that I was going to have to go to the parole hearing. The goal of the hearing was to make sure that he was not released, that Richard Worshey was considered to be dangerous. Herm says they characterized him as Al Capone. Um, and that he, uh, he had started detailing the collapse of the city, the story of the homicides, and all the drugs and all the murders. Rice continues and says, and then I talked about in generalities the damage that drugs had done to the city of Detroit. That was the extent of my contact with the parole board. But other members of the police department and law enforcement that was there went into generalities also. Yeah. Ralph says, if you read the transcript carefully... They just keep throwing Rick Worshey's name in it. Right. They never say that he does this stuff. Uh-huh. William Rice, it's fair that you could have implied that they knew about Richard Worshey because they slanted it to whereas he was to be considered dangerous when they didn't know anything about him at all. Yeah. And Herm says, these were guys that never even worked drug cases. And some of them ended up in prison themselves. So... Rice says, in order to prepare for the parole hearing, I was given information or review and look at it so I could familiarize myself with Richard Warshe. And Schwartz says, they went to the Detroit Free Press and said, uh, you know, give us all the articles you got on Warshe because we want to review a bunch of this information. Well, now we know that half the shit the media wrote was, wasn't true. Yeah, it's but all they're, they're pulling these files and it's just these hellacious headlines. Yeah. So... Deitz is, you know, listening to the police officers. Aye, aye, aye. You know, they say where she was violent and dangerous and should never be let out of prison. Uh -huh. It was powerful. It was really powerful testimony. Well, Bernstein says, 
You had some people that testified in favor of Rick Wershey, including Kid Rock, the musician. <laughs> Fucking Kid Rock. Of and, course he was. Well, Kid Rock, he didn't show up with an entourage. He came by himself. He drove himself to the hearing. Sir, can you state your name, please? <laughs> My name is Kid. <laughs> bow with the bow. By the way, is that the right song I'm yes, singing? Yes, bow with the bow. Dang, 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 dang. I thought that was corn until like a week ago. Buggy. I thought that was corn because I missed that generation of crap music completely. That's like the late 90s rap rock. Yeah. Dude, I was like uh, doing lots of drugs and listening to the Verve. (laughs) Better sweet symphony. Yeah. So anyway, you know, rock shows up there. And he does it. He's not doing it for the press. He goes solo. Uh, But that's not the way the story was put out. The police jumped on the fact that Kid Rock was there. And they put out a story like, what? Is white boy Rick going to get out of prison and go be a roadie (laughs) with Kid Rock? (laughs) He was going to be that little midget instead. (laughs) There's a real recipe for success. This has to be like the 90s now that we're talking. No, this is like 2017. No, 2003. I'm guessing. Okay. okay. I'll have to double check. Um, but you know, the press is spinning this cause they're getting quotes from the cops and they're saying, let's take this drug dealer and put him, uh, with a big time rapper. That's going to go well. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to, he's reformed now. And of course the public bought into it and it played well with the parole board. So he's, I guess he's turned down. Cool. Well, Rice says it was a sham. Yeah, of course. There was absolutely no reason for any of us to be there to prevent him from being released. And it's weird because Rice says this, but then he still says, I don't think Gil was a bad guy. So I think he kind of, some of these people Man. see what they want to see. Gil's probably working for some other fucking person, like some Hollywood agent or some kind of something. <laughs> I, th- just going back to my Money theory, laundering. He's I'm, not money laundering I'm himself. You, he wanted to be, he wanted to be famous. Some location scout went to shoot Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. They were like, show us all the dangerous areas. Yeah. And then he probably... You guys want some cocaine? Exactly. And he's like, I've always dreamed about being a huge movie star. Hey, look, they put it inside the coffee so that you can't smell it. (laughs) I bet you that's where (laughs) it came from. Gil came. He was probably an advisor. Yeah. He was like, like, you can use that line, but you got to make me inspect a tea. What happened is Gil walked in on some Hollywood producer getting blown by an eight-year-old boy and was like, how are we going to flip this? Say, all right, we'll put you in my next movie. Dude, this is a parallel to the, and then the movie. And me write some shitty movie. It's a parallel because he's out of jurisdiction, just yeah, like Axel yeah. Foley. He exactly. can't do anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is nuts, dude. Okay. And it always comes back to Beverly Hills Cop. So, Uncle Dave. Oh, Uncle Dave. We see another. That's so, the third one. We see another um, Beverly Hills Cop. And it's Inspector Todd. <laughs> This whole thing stinks to high heaven. <laughs> well, where she says it all goes back to Gil. All roads lead to, to Gil. Yeah. I mean, there's someone or something that kept. And this keep- even sounds like bullshit. Like now they're just going to try to pin all this shit on some poor dead black man and not the feds. Gil isn't dead yet. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just saying that like in the end. Gil's still alive at this point. Okay. Yeah. So um, a couple years after the parole hearing. Uh, around 2005. So to answer your question, it was 2003. Worshi Jr., meaning Rick, he was uh, in a federal product, uh, protective custody, witness protection. So they yeah. did give him witness protection. 
Was he cutting garlic with razor blades? <laughs> Paulie had a system with the garlic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He'd slice it with a razor blade and it would liquefy into a pan. Yeah. Uh, I thought it's, it was a very good system. <laughs> okay. So stupid. I know. Okay. <laughs> 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 Fucking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought I used too many onions. <laughs> I thought I used too many. All right, uh, it's back. Great scene. <laughs> so Herb said. <laughs> All right, here's what happens. They um they bust Worshi while he's in jail because he involved he got involved in a very very minor way yeah. trying to get his mom a car. And he was busted in an auto theft ring. By the way, I was, I was sorry. I have the tangent again real yeah. quick. City Slickers 2. Because City Slickers 1, I grew up on City Slickers 2. Of course. City you Slick watched the garbage. The garbage. The garbage. There's a scene where like, where where uh, Billy Crystal like tries to get his brother-in-law to like not have thing do like a Godfather scene. Not yeah. have a, a, a Nathan Lane do it. Not Nathan Lane. Which one's the other guy? I'm uh, Lovitz. Oh, John Lovitz. Doesn't want, yeah, doesn't want John Lovitz to do this fucking. And so, of course, and that's exactly what it reminded me of. I mentioned. My, the, hold I'm, on, my Ray Liotta impression yeah. reminds you of Lovitz. No, reminds me of yeah, Lovitz doing The Godfather. Oh, okay, gotcha. Because he's like trying to not get him to do it, but he just has to say one thing. Yeah. And it reminds him, and he just goes he right into Lovitz. So if I just all I have to say is razor blades and garlic, and you do, the, you got to do the whole scene from beginning to end, like some OCD bullshit. I forgot some of it, by the way. Yeah, but that's another. Show. All right, let's go. So anyway, he gets busted on this out-of-state charge while he's in the joint trying to hook his mom up with a car that's from an auto theft ring. Yeah. So he basically made some phone calls from jail. So the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office finds out about this, and they call the U.S. attorneys in Miami saying, you make sure he's indicted and to the full extent of the law. Yep. Sounds okay. like some George Soros DAs. I have no comment on okay. that. Where she says, I was told, take a plea bargain or I'm going to arrest your mom and your sister. Yeah. So what do I do? I took the plea bargain. So he pleads guilty to a five-year sentence. Now, 99% of all other cases, the five years is going to run concurrently with a life sentence. Yeah. <laughs> okay, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So <sighs> that's not the way it ends up working. No, no. So they tag on another five years. Oh, no. To his life sentence. <laughs> well, that's so stupid. <laughs> after he gets convicted of this auto theft thing, he loses witness protection status. Jesus Karen, Christ. that was the best prison I had. <laughs> Jesus, man. So they're fucking them good yeah, here. They take him out of the, wow. the federal witness protection and they throw him back in Michigan prison. Jesus Christ. Yep. And how old is he now and how many years has he served at this point? <sighs> it's 2005-ish. He was born in 69. Do the math for me. 26, oh. I'm guessing. Okay. 27, does that sound right? No, I don't even know. I guess, eh, okay. You don't even know how no. math works. So Math is discovered, not created. Math is the only universal language. Oh. Well, so what happens is this. Judge Hathaway, she reenters, and um, we pick up where we started from the beginning of the movie, where she's reviewing um, his, you know, sentence. Um, she says he's got great communication skills and interacts well with staff and other inmates alike. 
Yeah, because everywhere, because in prison, if you don't, you fucking get shanked. Okay. Yeah, he's managed steady employment, no problems with management uh, or staff. Uh, in her opinion, she says uh, he was a model prisoner, and there's no reason he should have been denied parole for so long. Yeah. So it's two. Now bullshit. it's 2015. Jesus. <laughs> so, um, Judge Hathaway says. The case law over the last decade has demanded that we treat juveniles constitutionally different than adults. Okay? Yeah. Thank God. Based on my reading of the briefs, all parties agreed that the defendant's original sentence of life without the possibility of parole for a juvenile who committed a nonviolent offense involving drugs was unconstitutional. Of course. The difference oh requires us to consider the defendant's age at the time the crime mm-hmm. was committed. Where a defendant's sentence violates the Constitution, recent case law holds that remedy for that violation is resentencing. Oh, thank, okay, thank God. <laughs> so Resentencing tw- to nothing, hopefully. In 2015, Hathaway decided that she wanted to resentence Rick, and it was a major decision. Well, Ralph says he's stunned. I mean... You could see in the courtroom, he doesn't know where to go. I mean, he's just almost shook. And, you know, Darlene, his mom says, we need him out. We've been waiting forever. And we even meet Rick's son at this point named Richard. And he says, I'm overwhelmed because I've only seen my father in person maybe two or three times in my life. Jesus. Uh, so it's a difficult relationship to know someone your whole life and not really. Yeah. And Dawn, the sister, she says they wouldn't let him out for dad's funeral. Dad was dying Jesus. of cancer. And they say, no, he's too high of a security risk. And Rick says, I want to get out. No, I want to spread my dad's ashes somewhere, visit my grandparents' grave. My mom's not in good health. Uh, I mean, after 29 years, you know, you don't hit the ground running, but I think I have a good support team. Yeah. And Ralph says he's supposed to get out. And if he doesn't get out, I want you, this is an oppressor, the news guys to be investigating as to who the hell wants him in and who has the power to keep him in. Well, would you like to hear who has the power to oh, keep him fuck in? Fuck this guy, <laughs> Jesus! It's Christ. not a guy this time; it's a woman. Uh, Her name Kamala was Kim Worthy. Oh, okay. Kim Worthy, and she objected. Well, she is the prosecutor in Wayne County at the time, and I bet she's a white lady. Uh, she's not. Oh, uh, she's black. Mm. Uh, in 2015, she said, "We believe the law." that Rick Wershey must stay in prison until the parole board releases him. So as it stands now, Rick Wershey will not be resentenced. So she wins the appeal, and Judge Hathaway is blocked from resentencing. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Hathaway oh, says... Oh, my God. Hathaway anxiety. I know. Hathaway says, when Prosecutor Worthy objected to my resentencing, I was disappointed. I didn't think that there was a legitimate basis for it. And then when the court of appeals sided with the prosecutor, I was disappointed again. I thought that any opinion, excuse me, my opinion had strong legal footing given the fact his sentence was ultimately an Eighth Amendment violation. And I thought the remedy should have been resentencing. Well, Deitz, the local TV guy, he says, Kim Worthy is one of the main people standing in his way of becoming a free man. And she's made no public comment or statement over the years. She's never given any indication why she's dead set on Rick staying in prison. I've done dozens of stories on the injustice of Rick still being in prison. And I've truly felt 
that the stories I've done should have been enough for people to do the right thing, but it didn't happen. And Hathaway says his sentence just shocks the conscience. How long he was in shocks the conscience. I'm not saying he was innocent, but part of our job is letting the punishment fit the crime. Right. And here it absolutely did not. For a juvenile defendant to never have his age taken into consideration was highly inappropriate and inconsistent with the case law that's been involving for the past decade. Hanson, he's a juvenile, non-violent offender who served 29 years. Yeah, He should be out. He's a political prisoner. I think yeah. Hanson just wants to scoop. I mean, whatever. <laughs> I know? think abolish the FBI is what I think. Well, Bernstein said he is being held against his will by the politicians of Michigan for crimes he never did. And Herm adds, there is a relationship between the current Wayne County prosecutor and Gil Hill. This is the woman that's trying to keep him in. Yeah. We don't know what that relationship is. Well, Joe says, from what I saw, Kim Worthy and Gil Hill had a professional and political relationship. She and Gil worked together, especially when he was in the city council. So they have a long history. Yeah. So that's where the issue is. You ready for some breaking news? Let's hear it, baby. Oh, this is a big one. Okay. What year are we talking? They don't say. Okay. So actually I do know. Okay. It's probably 2016, okay. maybe 2017. Detroit, they lost one of their heroes today. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Gil Hill. No. Or as we knew him, Gil Hill. Gil, yeah. <laughs> I fucked it up. It said Gilbert Hill. Mm-hmm. As we knew him, Gil Hill. Died yeah. peacefully with his family by his side. Well, fuck him. You know, he was like, not today. <laughs> I'm dying in my home today, an old man. Yeah. Legendary yeah. homicide detective. In and let Detroit. me guess, he doesn't, um, it's not until he dies that's somehow. You're getting warm. Okay, let's hear it. Let me finish his whole bit. He was a legendary homicide detective in Detroit and, of course, landed the role of Eddie Murphy's, Murphy's foul mouthed boss in Beverly Hills Cop. Then we see this flash on the screen. Gil Hill passed away during the production of this documentary. <laughs> it always happens that way. After Nate Kraft, Hitman Nate, after his interview for this film, the producers decided to release parts of his interview to the international media. <clears throat> Kevin Dietz, we have two huge stories today. First is a statement from Kim Worthy that she gave exclusively to the defenders. Kim Worthy saying she is going to reconsider her stance. She may no longer object to where she being locked up. This decision by Kim Worthy coming the very same day that a hitman says he was hired by a police officer to kill Rick Worshi back in the day. Wow. So, in the 80s. So, hitman Nate says, maybe they need to step down and let the boy out before I really start naming names. Wow. And they know who they are. Holy shit. So he doesn't just have dirt on Gil Hill. So I'm my gut tells me there were more people involved, and one of these purple people was intimate with this Kim Worthy person. That's all speculation. Yeah. So Hitman Nate's testimony goes viral. Sick. Yep. I vaguely remember this, I feel like. Yeah, well, Dietz does a piece, and he says, I told that Nate Kraft is going to say that former mayor... Coleman Young and former city council president Gil Hill went to great lengths to make sure that white boy Rick would stay in prison for the rest of his life. So finally, after all this time, Kim Worthy says 
she's not going to stand in Rick Wershey's way, but she's not going to do anything to help him either. She's going to leave that up to the parole board. Well, according to Schwartz, that's the problem. It's the parole board. They believe whoever is sitting there talking to them and they never ask questions. Yeah. They just listen to it all and they vote. And half the time they've listened to the wrong information. Herm adds, the Supreme Court in the state of Michigan needs to take a look at this or the governor needs to pardon him. Right. Yeah. And Schwartz says, every time I've called the governor's office, I've been told by his office and general counsel that the governor doesn't get involved in any parole instances. He turns it to the parole board. That's fucking dumb. That's a governor's job. Yeah. Take the, take the job. You do the hard decision making. Yeah. Steve adds, think about the concept. These are unelected people that are on the board. They're just regular people and they're appointed by the governor. And you as the governor of the state of Michigan that get elected by citizens, you're going to say, oh, what do you want me to do? The parole board says they shouldn't do anything. It's crazy. Dietz, I think people in Michigan are finally realizing that the story is not going away and it's staying local. Yeah. It's not staying local. Right, it's going right. to get bigger. Of course. It's going to get national. It's right. going to go international. And someone's going to have to answer as to why Rick is still in prison because nobody has answered that yet. Do you know who Alan Dershowitz is? Of course I do. Okay. Um, I think I first heard of him around 1990, Reversal of Fortune. Remember that movie? Mm -mm. Well... Alan says this, we see him in an interview. Yep. He says, ah, look at this on my wall. This is the Klaus von Bülow case. You know, I was the appellant lawyer. You don't get too many cases where the reversal of the conviction makes the front page of the New York Times. Mm -hmm. So immediately Alan's doing Alan things, sucking yeah. his own dick because yep. he's got camera time. Yep, yep. So uh, Dietz notes, Dershowitz has an office full of memories from the big cases. O.J. Simpson, mm -hmm. Mike Tyson, Patty Hearst, Jim Baker. He can't see any reason why Rick should still be behind bars. Alan, this is terrible. This is terrible injustice. This sentence has so many constitutional problems that one would hope a court would look at it very skeptically. One might at least have the hope that they will see the thing in context and say to themselves, oh my God, young man, drug offense. Look at how much time he spent. This doesn't make sense. I know. Neither does him being on the flight logs to Epstein Island, mm -hmm. but <laughs> I don't know. Is that a rumor? I get them all. I confused. don't know if that's one of the real ones or one of the fake ones yeah, about Dershowitz. It's so hard to tell. I know. Uh, Hathaway, she says, I don't really think anyone can look up all the facts surrounding this case and not feel bad for him. And whether it's appropriate or not for me to say, I am still a human being, despite being the judge that just happened to inherit this case. I can't check that at the door. Um, and I think part of my job is to have compassion for people and the people that come before me and see all sides of the story. And I don't know how anyone can look at this and not feel bad for him. Well, let's see how Johnny's doing. Okay. He says, I, I say Rick should have done seven, eight years and been home. Should have been home Yep. 20 years ago. Even my daughters, everybody said, yeah, they should let that boy go home. <laughs> he did enough time. Murders? <laughs> he, he did. No, he didn't do more than murders. Nope. Well, Bernstein, the reporter, he says the leader of the Young Boys Incorporated, Butch Jones, the Henry Ford of heroin, as he'd like to call himself, who was responsible for hundreds and hundreds of kilos of drugs being sold, responsible for multiple murders, alleged and convicted, did seven years. Wow. Yeah. 
Kurt McGurk was Butch Kurt Jones. McGurk. That's a great name. <laughs> Kurt McGurk was uh, Butch Jones's protege, a 16-year-old hitman. He did 25 years. He's out. That's crazy. Curry Brothers, Johnny, they're out. The biggest Eastside drug dealer of the 80s, you know, went to prison in 87, came out in 99, 12 years. And of course, Nat, Nate, Boone Craft admitted to killing 30 people in open court. He did 17 years and he's out. That's, How the fuck do you get out of jail crazy, for killing dude. 30 fucking people? That's crazy. It's because they probably only got him on two or three, but they, he it's confessed. It's because he uh, was juiced in with Gil. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But see, but Gil's That's probably part but, of it too. But time out here. Gil's just a cop. He still has to have prosecutors on his side yeah. to get that leverage. Yep. So, you know, Hitman Nate. You want to come to a red, I, you want to come to a red carpet event? We see him. Here I am, hitman, murder. However you want to put it, I ain't in prison no longer. I'm free, and hoping one day y'all set white boy Rick free. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Nate. Ra- resounding, uh, you know, whatever they call it, well, compliment says, or he says I'm going to hell. Nothing I can do about that. Because I had so much violence in my life. But uh, white boy Rick's still locked up. Yep. You ain't going to hell. So Ralph says the government takes a 14-year-old boy out of high school, places him in imminent peril so they can do their job. And after they used him up, they kick him to the curb, send him to jail for the rest of his life. Johnny, he done served a lot of time for something he wasn't. But Johnny just wants the credit of being the best fucking drug dealer. Well, whatever. I mean, yeah. I guess. So uh, Hanson interviews him and he says, what happens? This is an older interview, three or four or five, 10 years, you get out. What do you do then? And he says, start over my life. Try and start from the beginning. I want to go home, able to raise my kids, have a family, get a job, lead a normal life. Well, on June 8th, 2017, the Michigan Parole Board held a public hearing, public, considering the case of Richard Worsey Jr., and on July 2014th, just a little over a month later, the, bo- uh, the board voted 10 to 0 to grant Wershey parole after 29 years. Thank in goodness. Mm-hmm. Yep, he gets out. Uh, Dite says, we got to break And Nate story. was waiting there with a <laughs> shotgun barrel. I got no reason to kill you now, Rick. <laughs> Let's go hunt some pheasant. <laughs> well, well, yeah, Gil's not there to pay the ransom anymore. Fuck, man. He I'll goes re- to his daughter, um, I think you got to pay for this. I'm. He, she brings him his head. Uh, <laughs> he asks for the head and the left finger for some reason. Hell, I'll get you a body part. Yeah. You want private part? <laughs> so um, he's freed. And, of course, his family's watching live. They lose it. Um, they're thrilled to death. And uh, they ask him what he did. And he said, I just cried. I cried. Well, bad news. Oh, fuck me. He had to go back to Florida. To serve the five years. No. (laughs) Yep. So Rick is now. That should be easy time. And he should be out now because of a lot of last. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Um, This was 2017. Yeah. In the movie's release. So in the movie, when it ends, he's currently serving his sentence for the auto theft charges. His supporters are still fighting for him. And that's how the credits roll. Okay. So. To answer your question, on July 20th, 2020, 
where she was released from custody in Florida. Thank God. So probably got time off for good behavior. Thank God. Remember that lawsuit you were waiting for? Yep. In July 2021, uh, where she sued the FBI, saying in the lawsuit, had I not been an informant for the task force, I would have never gotten involved with drugs, gangs, or criminality in any sort, and that the FBI's actions amounted to child abuse. He is the youngest known informant ever in the history. Wow, of the these scum <clears throat> bags. Yep. Uh, he has three children. Uh, they did make a movie about his life called White Boy Rick. Uh, Matthew McConaughey plays his dad in it. Okay. Uh, it was released September 14, 2018. And here's a little tidbit for you. Do you know about the show everybody's talking about, BMF? On I think it's on Stars. No. Yeah, Eminem plays Wershi on the show. Uh, not a okay. central focus character, but does appear on the show in a reoccurring role. Hmm, cool. And but... um. No word on the lawsuit? No, no word on the lawsuit. It's Ooh, really weird. His Wikipedia, him. we're talking about this at break. Yeah. Super slim. And I is mean, that suppression? Well, well, here's the thing. Like, this doesn't become, like, the internet didn't exist when this first happened. So even just that alone is going to cause not a whole lot of record for it dude the e it, internet didn't exist when evil can evil existed and there's uh, 20 pages on his wiki yeah that's different i mean the guy has five paragraphs on his wiki yeah i mean just so nobody are, knew about this until 2016 essentially yeah i'm just surprised he doesn't have a bigger audience. i'm sure there's some gil jill what's his name you know what gil it tells Hill me influence here. here's what it tells me and some there, spook influence there isn't um, cause Wikipedia is gathered with, you know, like Wikipedia's a bib- bullshit. I know. I'm just, it's, it's where you start, but there's a bibliography in every wiki. Yeah. The, the table of contents. So you look at this and you think, well, maybe the sourcing wasn't somebody's edited it or curated it because they don't want all that it, false it, shit. It, it's very easy, easily done. Yeah. You can so maybe basically somebody pay to play. Right. It's like Yelp or or a better business bureau. So if you get if you have bad press on there, yes. you go, you pay your money and they take it off. So right? is it possible that the feds could be suppressing this? A hundred percent. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, and maybe they just want to just keep tamping down their involvement yeah, with look the at entire their, situation. Their, look, their fucking their uh, credibility is down to zero at this point in like the world, in yeah. like the United States. It's yeah. Un- untrustworthy shit so well i don't doubt that they've been doing it for 40 years it's for me it's dirty it's not not a four star but it's a solid three star okay three um, dockings three dockings is is what i'm giving it and um dave I, I'm, my voice i'm losing a little bit that's you good. mind wrapping up the show for us sure today? well you what did know. you think by the way good story sad yeah. stuff yeah. you're right sometimes these are hard to make jokes about not a lot of uh, redeeming qualities in any of these characters. Yeah. I hate feds. And um, I think all drugs should be legal. So okay. there you go. That's fair enough. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's a, bu- a lot of bullshit. Well, thank you for joining us. Yes. Uh, if you want to leave us a five-star review, even if you're going to talk shit about us or me, go ahead and do that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Yeah. If you want to leave us a message, you can find us anywhere on Down the Docks. Except for on Instagram, where we're down on the Docs Pod, and again, that's D O C. And don't forget, try out our sponsor, Broccoli Farms six one nine. Broccoli Farms six one nine on Instagram. Use down on the Docs promo code for fifteen percent off 
We really appreciate it. FTP, what does that mean again? First time patient. Well, that's it, Chris. That's it. Uh, We'll see you next week with episode 34. And thanks as always for listening to the show. It means a lot to us. And we appreciate every note that you give us and words of encouragement. They do not go unnoticed and they all get answered. Mm -hmm. So if if you're thinking out there, wow, Wow. What's going to happen if I send these guys a message? They'll probably just go to a junk box folder. That's not how it works. If I get one, I screenshot it, send it to Dave. He really does. If you get one, you screenshot it, you send it to Chris, and it does help us. I don't get, I haven't gotten any yet. That's (laughs) not true. And it does keep, you know what? Somebody send Dave a DM. Okay. okay? Can you do that and make our week? And of course, if you do send us a review, we will read it on the air. And that's a wrap for episode 33 of White Boy. We'll see you next week.